You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the cool and exciting projects coming up in the future of the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim, and returning this week is Paul with us. How's it going, guys? What's very up, and welcome back, Paul. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. And uh, last week was kind of insane because, uh, just for listeners who want to know what happened, I was running late going from a, a dinner, uh, picking up dinner with my brother and uh, um, my wife and my 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 daughter, and it just things got kind of crazy. And then, literally, uh, I we got I got in, I was late. Cal and Tim were being patient with me and I was trying to get on the, on the show and my computer needed to update. Cause it was, it was went haywire. It was nuts. So I was like, you guys, I'm just going to have to bail out. Cause I mean, hadn't even eaten yet. So, uh, so anyway, it was, uh, it was kind of insane. So I, I, I was bummed. I didn't make it, but it was, in the end it was probably a good call because Tim and Kyle, I, I didn't listen to the whole thing yet, but I will. They did a great job, and and, and only, it only made sense for them to talk about the Clone Wars and, and really air out their thoughts with just the two of them. That's how it kind of started, and I, to be honest, I think it worked out well that way. And I, and it's an amazing, almost five-hour episode without me, which is really, really impressive. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a, uh, I was bummed, but I think at the same time, I think it was meant to be. You guys, just you guys for that, um, for that portion, but. Now that uh, that that to be has been done, now it's time to go back to the new normal, which is me. Uh, no, <laughs> well, but, uh, I'm just looking forward to kicking back on this episode. You do all the talking, Paul. So oh, yeah, yeah, we get to <laughs> later. we get to put it <laughs> yeah. in cruise control. Yeah. Um, well, um, really quickly, um, again, thanks to everyone for saying nice things. Uh, special shout out to Tim for being on the astral plane during my uh, when I was uh, uh, doing my thing with my daughter and, and my wife. We, down we south the world between worlds right yeah oh i like that <laughs> world between worlds we, we we definitely are on the world between worlds and i i somehow managed to to be in the same area and space as tim and and managed to even squeeze in a little bit of battlefront in 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 that world between worlds and so <laughs> uh and because he was so gracious to let me borrow it through that uh world between worlds so uh <laughs> let me it was very tim was very much a, a much needed hero for me uh, during that time. So Tim, Good again, thank you. Yes. No, it's, it's well-deserved my friend. Well-deserved. And, um, I played really all I've been doing is just probably consuming lots of star Wars stuff. I got a lot of star Wars stuff for May the 4th. I've been buying, 
a, way more than I need to be, to be honest. But I've been playing a lot of Battlefront too. And I got to tell you, man, I love Battlefront so much. Like the new updates are so good. The Age of Rebe- Rebellion uh, Supremacy um, mode is just, it's so much. I think it's the best one of all three. I like all three a lot, but it's so short and quick, but just reminds me of old Battlefront. And I was curious. Well, I'm going to ask you, Kyle, because we know Tim's not playing it. Um, but I was curious. <laughs> well, that's true. It, it really feels like at least that that specific era alone because all it is is just the you know the, the original yeah it's it's just you're capturing command posts they took out yeah. the the phase at the end where you go and uh take the the capital ships down um and also on certain maps like on uh on moss Eisley, you can fly x-wings and, and tie fighters over the whole thing i think you can do that on hoth too i don't know if i've played through all the maps on supremacy um but yeah it's a lot of fun and it, it you're right it does kind of have that I mean, I, I feel like ever since they, they added Capital Supremacy, it's had kind of that old-school Battlefront oh, feel totally. of just running around yeah. and taking command posts. But yeah, especially this. Like, this is the closest you get to just recreating Battlefront 2 2005. Yeah. Um, and especially I, with, like I said, with the addition of the aerial vehicle combat, too, because they mm-hmm. they haven't had that in um, in Supremacy up to this point. Well, um, and, I, and I haven't played... You know, you guys all love Battlefront 2 from back in the day. I like Battlefront 1, the first one, more. It just feels a little more compact and easier to play. And that's what it feels like to me. I was playing today, uh, and I was on Yavin, and um, we're trying to capture the the sea post. And we're just like, it's just madness going back and forth. Like, you know, and I, I was just thinking, this reminds me of the original Battlefront. And how much I love that game and how it's just you just taking out people. And, and oh, it, was, it was a blast. And I got to say, man, like Battlefront 2 has just is stepped it up and it really is a great game. And I just really hope they eventually do a third Battlefront. It's just it's, you know, comes out swinging with all the same stuff that they have now because this stuff is great. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to add on that, too, is the uh, the Scarif map is just gorgeous. Yeah, I it, did see great. that in action, and that definitely you could tell a jump from how it yeah. was in the first Battlefront into Battlefront Two. Yeah, it was. You saw it in the World Between Worlds with me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those Windows portals that yeah. you have to get a view yeah. of Scarif, <laughs> and I saw an Ewok running on the beach, which was yeah, funny. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and and I remember saying I, how much I, I, I get, love playing an Ewok. I did get nervous because that person who was playing the Ewok was trying to take down a death trooper. And I did not want to see a death trooper get taken out by an Ewok. <laughs> Unfortunately, happen, the death though? trooper prevailed. Nope. The death oh, trooper got okay. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a clip that, uh, like I follow like a battlefront fan page on Twitter and they shared a clip from somebody where there's an Ewok and it's on Hoth where there's like the, you can play with the vehicle combat in supremacy. Um, and an Ewok with the bow shoots down a tie bomber. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, almost surprised we didn't actually see that in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> it's we only because they, they wouldn't bother having TIE fighters fly over the trees on Endor. You can't see what you're shooting at. Um, <laughs> That's true. Did you guys, really quickly, did you guys get anything for May the 4th? Did you do anything? No. Didn't get anything, but watched a lot of I, Star Wars. Yeah, I just stayed yeah. in and watched Clone Wars. I, you know what? I got a Clone Wars finale. That's what I got. Yeah, <laughs> we well, all were blessed with that gift my, that day. Yeah, well, uh, well I, I got uh, my daughter coming home from the hospital on May the 4th. That was pretty special, uh, which was really yeah, crazy. That's got to be yeah. probably the ultimate all-timer May the 4th. That was, yeah, yeah that was amazing. And they got the finale, because so I watched the finale with her and my wife, 
I don't, I don't think she was doing something else, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 I got to, my daughter came home from the hospital. She had been in a couple of weeks and then she came home and that was, a, and that was a surreal, amazing, even though May the 4th, I've always, you know, you're going back, you know, last like what, 10 years you hear May the 4th, you kind of laugh it off like, oh yeah, haha, whatever. But, uh, I really, and, and Tim, you know, can speak to this the last, I'd say three, four years. And because of people like Tim and, and Kyle, I've really taken a lot more seriously in, in being involved in fandom where I've really adopted it as like a great like Star Wars holiday. And the fact that May the 4th, you know, or May it's May the 4th in May, the original dates of Star Wars being released in the theaters, it just kind of makes sense. And I love the, how that that coincidence makes it even more strong of, of, a, of a holiday, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just it's it's been really cool. And I look forward to like having more may the fourth kind of events or fun things and i bought and the reason i wanted to bring it up i bought a ton of stuff i bought like a clone wars shirt i bought a boba fett funko uh animated i spent too much money just because i wanted to just buy stuff i got a mandalorian wallet for when i need a new wallet i didn't want to just go crazy it was, it was a lot of fun though I, I had a blast so well we saw you at galaxy's edge so you know i'm not surprised <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean well those days are probably going to be coming to an end one way or another so that's why i'm kind of going nuts now because hmm. i have a daughter and i don't know if my job will be holding up in the next couple months so i'm like you know i'm gonna start buying stuff because in a few months i probably won't be able to do this for a long time so i'm gonna take advantage of it now i'm not sure if that's logical but in my head it makes sense so <laughs> going with it yeah, well, we're obviously glad to have you back, um, and obviously we're going to get into, well, we'll let you share your thoughts on the Clone Wars finale, and then we'll all talk a little bit more about it, uh, just as far as the season and the show overall, um, and then of course we've got your guys' uh, listener comments and stuff to read from last week. Um, but before we do that, let's get to a little bit of news, um, and really, I mean, we just recorded our last episode a week ago, so there hasn't really been much news since then. The only thing that is still coming out is just more of these Mandalorian sort of unofficial casting announcements. Um, you know, last time we talked about Boba Fett and or well, we talked about Tamara Morrison playing possibly Boba Fett and or Cad Bane. Um, and then, of course, we talked about, you know, the Ahsoka rumor and stuff like that. Um, Cad Bane. Oh, sorry, Captain Rex. Did I say Cad Bane? No, maybe that's just wishful thinking that I want Cad Bane to be in the show, too. No, but no, obviously you wouldn't have Tamara Morrison playing him. No, uh, uh, Boba Fett or Rex. You'd probably do a cool job as Cad Bane, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How ironic would that be to have the guy that played Jango Fett then play Cad Bane? Um, But uh, yeah, so so we talked about that. Um, We talked about Ahsoka. um, But now there's just, you know, again, more, more stuff coming out that's like, unofficial but coming from sort of reputable sources but nothing confirmed by lucasfilm this time it's uh peter scaretta from slash film reporting that katie sackhoff is going to be playing bo in the upcoming season now this i don't know if like i know we've talked about this before maybe it was just a rumor maybe it was just speculation um but you know people started going crazy over this and this one kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me like this was not a big surprise um, and maybe it was just the fact that, like, I think during the Mandalor- during the first season of The Mandalorian, like, while it was airing, and I think we knew that season two was already in production, and Katie Sackhoff tweeted something like she just got done filming a project and it was, like, the coolest experience of her career and she couldn't talk about it and everybody was like, hmm, it could be this big secret of Star Wars thing, you know? Um, 
So anyway, I mean, again, still take this with a grain of salt. I don't, you know, even when it's like Hollywood Reporter or Variety or whatever, you know, I, I don't take any of these as 100% confirmation until it's confirmed by Lucasfilm. But this seems like something that also has a pretty good chance of happening. I think this one, like out of all the casting rumors we've heard so far, I think this one makes the most sense. And I'm not saying obviously that only one of them can happen or that, you know, all the other ones are false, but... I think this one makes the most sense just to have her naturally appear in the story, not only because she's a Mandalorian, but because she was the one that we last saw with the Darksaber, um, and now uh, Moff Gideon's got it, so whether she's still around and we see her actually be part of the story, or whether she's just seen in flashbacks, and maybe we see Gideon, like, kill her and take the Darksaber, um, who knows, but I think she she definitely has a close tie to the story and to that weapon and stuff, so I'm excited for that, I hope it happens uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, the Great Mandalorian season two news just continues <laughs> in these last few weeks. And I know what you're saying about Katie Sackhoff, because I think this was kind of one of my predictions for season one of The Mandalorian. Where we're talking about possible characters we've seen either in movies or Clone Wars or Rebels possibly showing up in the show. I think Bo-Katan made the most sense for being one of the first to probably show up in the series. And after getting that season one uh, ending tease with the dark saber. It just makes total sense now. And I think you make a good point though, where maybe it could be something done in a flashback where we see a, a duel between her and Moff Gideon and that how he defeats her and takes the dark saber or how she gets involved in maybe reclaiming it. But I think there's tons of cool potential that you can do with her and exploring more of the Mandalorian history, where she's coming from and where Din Djarin's coming from because Death's Watch did save him in that flashback sequence. We know that. So they could have a history already together. And they could be been separated for a while, been reunited in season two. So there's tons of different ways they can go about it. But also, going back to the other rumors we've been hearing about Ahsoka being in there, Boba Fett, maybe Captain Rex being in there, it almost seems like it could be a Siege of Mandalore reunion <laughs> in some type yeah. of way. Because, I don't know, I'm not counting on all three of those characters if Samuel R. Morrison is playing Captain Rex too, being together in the same scene or the same episode I think that would be awesome but for right now I'm kind of guessing that first off not all of them are probably going to have the same amount of episode appearances or screen time this season so some will probably have more than the others and right now I'm probably going into it thinking that it's going to be where one episode is going to feature those characters but if Captain Rex is going to be in it, then he probably would more than likely show up in an episode with Ahsoka. But who knows? Because a lot of the times, I think with Ahsoka and Boba Fett, they were saying how not large roles in this season, but potentially setting up future stories for seasons or maybe their own shows. We don't know. But um, yeah, I just think there's tons of potential for what they can do with bringing these characters into the series and not have it feel forced to me mm -hmm. where, oh, they're just bringing in these characters because... You know, there's some you hear sometimes where a lot of people well, I shouldn't say a lot, but you do see some fans complaining sometimes about Dave Filoni just bringing in his characters from a show and everything that he does. But it yeah. still makes sense because these characters have a history with the Mandalorian culture, the planet Mandalorian. So to know that these characters are going to be showing up again when we haven't seen them in a while from where this show takes place from when we saw them in Clone Wars and Rebels, it's going to be fascinating at least to me to see where they're at now in this era of star wars and just how they view things that are going on with the mandalorian as a culture and society because things are pretty bleak 
for the Mandalorians as we're seeing in the show. Yeah. So to get their perspective on it, I think it's going to be fascinating because they all had ties together and with Mandalorian culture. So I'm excited for it. Um, and I do believe I'm, I know nothing's 100% until it's officially confirmed, but I'll be shocked now if any of these don't come to fruition, because yeah. like you said, these are coming from very reputable sources. And I even said this on the last episode, it's very rare when the Hollywood reporter says stuff that doesn't end up happening. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you never know. But at the same time, I'm just really confident that this is the stuff we're going to be getting yeah. in season two. It just keeps sounding more and more exciting to me. Well, and I, I think that Katie Sackhoff coming on is a, it seems like a no brainer. I think we all kind of, at least if we weren't on the show, have talked about it in, you know, just when we're hanging out or whatever, like it makes the most sense. And she's kind of hinted at that. What I just was wondering is how old would Bo-Katan be? I mean, she's probably what in her thirties in the clone wars around that. I'd say, would just say I would early thirties. So. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then would say that's, you know, in the clone wars, so that's what, 20 years later she would be then 50 she's actually only 40 years old she's only a few years older than me and i'm 38 so she's you know just turned 40 year old turned 41 soon um and i'm wondering if moff gideon if she is if, i guess what i'm trying to say is i think it might be a flashback kind of a thing it would make the most sense because they could age her obviously that's not the hard part but it just seems like it, it's a kind of a jump at that point for for her to be you know that much older because let's see i guess what you know what i take it back because if rosario dawson's playing ahsoka but then she's playing an alien you can kind of you know get away with that a little bit more but i'm just kind of it just seems to me it, it fits more that she would be a, a flashback because she's kind of a, a little just a little bit older than her character would be in clone wars and now it fit the time that moff gideon would be going after uh the dark saber or getting it back from them but I could be wrong. But I'm, yeah, I don't. I'm I don't think that really is going to factor into it much because you can do so much with just makeup and prosthetics to yeah, age, age a character, especially when she's not that much older. I mean, it's not like she'd be playing an elderly Bogotan. Um, and I think it's much harder to go the other way and do like the de aging because yeah. that you know they and, and they can do that too, but that involves a lot more like visual effects and stuff. But yeah, just to do some makeup and add a few more wrinkles to make her look you know ten years older than she is, I don't think that would be hard at all. Yeah. Um, but it very well. well I mean, for yeah. all the reasons I said earlier too, it very well could be a flashback as well. It feels like it'd be a flashback, and I think that that would be. I don't know. I I just there's a lot of you can't add that many new characters or established characters. I feel unless it's going to be appropriately done. And I think that a flashback with Bo-Katan would make the most sense without trying to over explain things to the general audience. If that makes any sense. And like, like, like for instance, like we know it's Katie Sackhoff. We know it's Bo-Katan, but they never, Bo-Katan, excuse me, but they never say her name. And it's just like a flashback of you know her, him and her talking or whatever. Mm -hmm. and yeah, you just easily say if Moff Gideon is explaining how he got the dark mm -hmm. saber, fighting the leader mm -hmm. of Mandalore, and mm -hmm. we get the flashback of him dueling with Bo-Katan. And that'd be cool. And so, but again, I, I'm not like an anti Katie Sackhoff person. I'm not really overly familiar with her besides Bo-Katan. But that being said. I think it's I think it's great that they're incorporating so many live action characters, and I think that, I mean, you got to think Dave Filoni is, is is the main reason behind it. I, maybe I'm wrong, but it def, it definitely seems like that way. And I think 
if this is done successfully, we may get more of this. And I think the beauty of this is if it is successful and we get more of it, that means it, the more integration of the canon intertwining together, the better. And the more things and the more the more reasons, more writers and more planning will go into these things with that in mind. And I think that's only going to strengthen Star Wars. And I think that that's the thing that gets me the most excited about all these announcements because we always wanted this, right? We always wanted these animated characters, the characters from the comics to make appearances in the films and to basically validate your the canon or validate the things that you love within the different mediums to give it like some value. I mean, and granted, your love of that will never change, right? Your your love will never be, you know, be changed because it's not in live action or whatever. Don't get me wrong, but let's be real. The fact that your character is now important enough to go into other mediums and cross over there is a big deal, and it's exciting. And I think that that, to me, is what gets me most pumped about this, is that if Disney and Lucasfilm sees value in, like, oh, these characters that we develop in the comics and the books and the cartoons, they actually, like, have followings and, and actually get to generate a good buzz. And because of these characters are so fleshed out and we already know what to expect from them – if the writers like a la Dave Filoni or producers Dave Filoni or whatever is in charge and they know these characters and know what makes them tick and they can basically immediately market them to a mass audience and they're ready to go. I mean, they've already been proofed or tested because the Star Wars fans love them. It's the same thing like Marvel comics and the Marvel films, right? Like I've been saying for, you know, before the MCU, I was saying for years, there's a reason why these characters have lasted for so long, like Captain America's and the Iron Man. And there's, I'm not comparing Star Wars characters like Ahsoka and all them to the Captain America necessarily, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. These, mm -hmm. the, if, if these characters have made a, a impact in a niche audience that they haven't been, and only because the niche audience is, is niche because it's a very particular medium and whatnot. But it's a huge, you know, they're huge in that niche audience. It's a good indication. Doesn't always guarantee it, but it's a good indication that this is a good character and it has broad appeal outside if you do it the right way. And I feel that that's what they're going to get into with Ahsoka and the Rexes and the Bo-Katans and all that stuff. If they continue to develop these characters in different mediums and kind of test it out and see if they if they they last that test where they go, oh man, these characters have like have been successful. People are buying the merch from them, the limited merch. You know, it's like you can tell a lot from a small thing, right? For for the most part, in my opinion, and I think that Marvel and Marvel the MCU is a great indication of what you can do with these characters if you develop them the right way. The only difference is, is that. They do come with, a, you know, you do have to kind of at least acknowledge in some ways loosely what's happened to them before in these different mediums, which obviously the MCU doesn't have to do that. They just kind of modify things they don't really like or they, they don't really agree with or whatever. This one gets a little bit trickier. But at the same time, I think it's actually an advantage because you already have an idea and you can kind of twist things or do your own take and still acknowledge those things that happened in those previous stories and make the fans that love that character the least will be ex appreciative and accept the fact that, oh, yeah, you may not like this, but at least you're you're acknowledging it, that, that it's there. You're not just ignoring it or whatever. So that, I think, to me is where it's a, it really is an advantage. You can, you can the more 
there's no to me you can't be you can't have good uh, enough publicity positive vibes of these things and if the internet's taught us anything that both good and bad uh you know like buzz can really is is huge for these these series these mandalorians and, and all these online series and 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 anything like movies and and whatever and the fact that you know obviously social media is a huge indication of how things are going to do and if people are talking great things about it it's obviously word of mouth gets out there a lot easier now because of social media and so i feel that all this i'm sorry if it's going on for a long time it's been a while but to me this is only great news for star wars because this to me is is right up star wars wheelhouse taking these characters that are established in other mediums and put and cross them over those different mediums it just fits it's always as fit star wars and i feel that if they can nail ahsoka bo-katan and potentially rex and whoever else we're going to talk about here in a few minutes if they can nail these things down then they are this is the future of star wars which we always wanted we always thought it was going to happen but obviously lucasfilm disney is kind of but if we have people like dave filoni in the midst of leadership of star wars or has or has at least a big say in it we're going to see more things like this and the more successful it is the better it is for us and the characters we love in the different mediums yeah and you make a good point too where it's another exciting thing about bringing these characters into live action is that we all know and love these characters but like i said it's kind of a niche group that loves the clone wars even though there's a lot of clone wars fans i'm not saying it's not popular or anything like that where it's a small fan base there's a lot of clone wars fans but when you talk about mainstream audience who watch star wars movies and now the mandalorian they're not too familiar with those characters and if they are brought in and introduced or not introduced but brought into live action in the mandalorian and a lot more people who never heard of these characters get exposed to them and begin to like and love them as much as we do that's just going to be great for the characters and even those old series because if they like Ahsoka a lot in when they see her in live action or Bo-Katan and want to see more of those characters. They can go back and watch the Clone Wars and Rebels. And that just gets more other people who didn't really had interest or knew of the show but didn't really want to watch it because it was animated or whatever. Even though if I ever had those conversations, I'd always tell people it's not your typical animated show. It's mm-hmm. just it's just star wars just let you love in the movies just an animated form but if it gets more people to watch those stories and just really appreciate and see what we rave about and love about them so much and it just gets more people to watch those i think that's another really great positive thing about it so it's just a lot of great stuff all around about bringing these characters into live action and if they are successful like you said paul it's just a win-win for everybody yeah absolutely um and then one other bit of you know, sort of unconfirmed Mandalorian casting news. Uh, this one doesn't revolve around a character, uh, but an actor, and that's uh, Timothy Oliphant, who has apparently been cast in an unknown role in uh, in The Mandalorian. And I guess he is in, um, is it Justified? Which is another kind of like Western-themed series. Um, it's weird, because I don't know why, when I, like, and I didn't even see this movie, but wasn't he in like the Hitman movie, like the video game adaptation that they made like, it was like several years ago, and I, I don't know why I remember that he was the main character in that movie, but that's always what I think of when I see his name. Um, I'm not sure. That, I'm not really too familiar with him. I just know he was in an episode of The Office, and he was a very frequent guest on uh, the Conan O'Brien show. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. He was just on there all the time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he'll apparently be appearing in some type of role in season two as well. Um 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got just a few more months to wait um, to actually see season two of The Mandalorian. They've confirmed that it hasn't been delayed. Um, it's still on track for October, so um, shouldn't be hopefully too much longer before we start getting some teases and official announcements about that. If anything... Um, you know, obviously celebration in August, if that still happens, I'm sure we'll get a lot more info there. Um, and I guess even if it doesn't, I mean, I know like Comic-Con and some other things that have been canceled, they're doing some sort of online event still. So I would imagine that if they have like trailers and, and reveals and stuff planned for celebration, that those will probably still happen, even if the actual in-person event doesn't. Um, so, you know, we, we, probably be seeing a trailer for this and stuff like that in august if not sooner um but uh yeah that's pretty much it as far as news goes like i said it's only been a week since our last episode and it's just all these these mandalorian casting things i don't even know how credible this is like there was even a rumor going around that Hera might appear in in season two as well um but uh yeah not much more going on aside from that um so well the justified guy by the way the, that actor is a fan favorite by a lot of people Like he's very, a very respected, like, like well-established actor. He's not like a big name or anything. Obviously we, I, I didn't even know who he was. And, uh, my friend, Justin, he texted me, uh, the link and said, um, our friend, John Brearley, who passed away a few months ago was a huge fan of his. And he said, John would be losing his mind right now. And I go, who is this guy? He goes, he was unjustified. I went, Oh, John loved Justify. Like he raved about it. And the I'm so bad with names. The other guy in Justified that he he was a co-star with, he's he's he was an Ant-Man the Wasp. Uh he was the the villain in uh, the new Tomb Raider movie. He was on Vice Principals on HBO. Uh he has on sitcom, something like Unicorn or something. He's also on that show as well. And both actors kind of uh are kind of became it's kind of a cult, I would say a cult kind of show it was on FX. Uh, kind of a cult favorite show cult classic if you will that's what it kind of seemed like uh anyway to me but that guy apparently has been a, has a lot of respect from a lot of different people so the fact they cast him is is really interesting so i've already seen people being like is he gonna be Zaw or uh thrawn or I joke, <laughs> saying, I joke saying he's gonna be ezra you know <laughs> Well, we all know Pierce Brosnan has to be thrown out after the Jason Paul oh, yeah. mural art. True. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So you know, anyway, I just wanted to say that for a record. I, I don't. I wasn't familiar with the name, but when my friend told me it was uh, the, the guy from Justified, I went, "Oh, that's yeah." He's he. I've seen a few episodes of Justified. Um, that's a long story, but but either way, he was very good, and I've heard nothing but great things about him and and things he's done. So it's actually a huge get, in my opinion, that they got him. So he, it'd be interesting what he's going to play. I will say that the fact that he's just being announced now again this late is interesting. So we'll see. But yeah, I think it's a big deal that he he signed on for sure, though. Yeah. Oh, and one thing that I don't know if we've talked about too. I mean, this is it's not casting really, but um. Phil Tippett, who's like a legend in um, just movie special effects and like model making and puppetry and stuff like that. Um, and he was instrumental instrumental in like the original Star Wars trilogy and Jurassic Park and, and things like that. Um, I believe he had maybe even retired or like moved on from Lucasfilm and like came back and he's working on seasons two and three of The Mandalorian now. 
Um, and I remember seeing Man, I don't think sort I've of, heard of that. Yeah, that was That's it, cool. I, yeah. I remember seeing a while ago, like sort of an interaction on Twitter between like him and John Favreau. And he was like, Hey, I'd love to come back and work with you guys on the Mandalorian. And John was like, yeah, hit me up. And then just recently I saw an article where they were like, yeah, he's working on it. Um, so, uh, it's cool because the, I feel like the Mandalorian, like obviously season one, they kept it mostly under wraps. I mean, everybody was excited about it cause it was a new live action Star Wars series, but we didn't really know what to expect or what this thing was going to be. And I think now with sort of the breakout success of it and everybody loves baby Yoda and, and the Mandalorian and all the action and everything, but also because it's kind of smaller scale and it's, it's just a weekly series even it's got kind of the shorter episode format and it doesn't have like the big pressure of a star wars uh movie which you know we've talked about how like uh, i'm sure there are probably a lot of directors that are scared to take on a star wars movie even the ones that have like dropped out from their projects and stuff and just seen yeah. all the scrutiny that that's gone on with it but i think the mandalorian people are are sort of chomping at the bit to get involved in that i mean we've got robert rodriguez we've got peyton reed um and uh, who knows if we may have some other big name guest stars or, or cameos or something this season. But I think people in the industry that want to be involved with Star Wars probably see The Mandalorian as sort of a safer bet to uh, not have as much scrutiny and as much pressure of like, oh, I have to succeed with this $200 million budget blockbuster. It's like, hey, I can kind of play around and try to bring my own flavor to it and like do an episode or play one character that's in a couple episodes of this TV series. And, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if, you know, if it does work, then, you know, you're just adding to this thing that people already love. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's hopefully going to continue to to just grow and expand and they'll be able to keep recruiting great talent to just keep making that show better and better. Um, not that they don't have great talent working on it already. I mean, obviously John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing a great job with that thing. And with all the, the directors and cast that they've already brought in, we've got another episode of the Disney gallery, uh, the Mandalorian that's out, uh, this week, um, that's talking about the cast. And that one was a lot of fun to watch too. Didn't have a, uh, you know, a, a big eye opening sermon from Dave Filoni at the end of this one, but it was still a fun watch. So <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, I that's... Know, that, that episode spoilers now wanting that every, every ending now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But honestly, I mean, I'll take whatever Filoni content I can get, man. I know we're probably not going to get that every week, but you know, when, when he goes off on those, I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for the news. Uh, so let's get into talking some more Clone Wars. Uh, like I said, you know, Tim and I will talk a little bit about, about it more and kind of give our thoughts on, on season seven, uh, and just sort of the show overall. But before we do that, uh, obviously we spent the better part of four hours last time just talking all the nitty-gritty details of Siege of Mandalore, and Paul wasn't here for that. So, Paul, the floor is yours. What did you think of the final four episodes of Clone Wars? I'm really thankful that I, I get to talk about this because I, I I missed the Clone Wars conversation with you guys last week, but obviously I think that was, again, meant to be because you guys needed to have a lot to say, and it only fits that you guys have to, you know, go and, and, and put out your thoughts about the whole kind of four episodes, whatever, and the two of you, because you guys kind of started this podcast and are giant Clone Wars fans, so... Uh, you were still Miss Paula. We can't oh, I appreciate the that. show without you giving your thoughts on no. it, so... I know. The next four hours are yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going, yeah, I don't have that, oh, that long, but... Uh, well, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me, Frodo. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this 
I think, and we've talked a little bit already about it. You guys even referenced it. You know, we already talked a little bit about the a little bit about the first two episodes. And uh, when I uh, watched the the uh, Rebels, or excuse me, the uh, Clone Wars episode between the World Between Worlds uh, through with Tim there, um, back in when I was down in California, uh, we saw the episode uh, shattered through the World Between Worlds. <clears throat> I almost slipped there. And uh, anyway, and. With with me, I, I love those first two episodes of the Clone Wars, and the kind of kind of I want to just do a, a quick little review of those of, of Shattered, and then go into the last episode and kind of overall review of the Siege of Mandalore in general. I, I didn't take to Shattered immediately. Um, Tim can can attest to that a little bit. Yeah, and surprised me. I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? It, I think I, I figured out why. It's because those first two episodes were just so just quick, action-packed, and beautifully paced that I kind of expected more of that. And it was it was the exact opposite, which wasn't bad. I just wasn't I just was expecting a little bit more to happen. And so I've rewatched it obviously a number of times since then, and I've really grown to love it a lot more. And one of the things that sticks out to me. I think in this whole arc and I think it's probably the best out of this whole um, in this episode of shattered is the music of, of Kevin uh, Kiner um, his music in the the shattered episode is incredible yeah. and atmospheric. And one of the things I thought was interesting looking back on uh, me, you know, me and Tim and through the world between worlds uh, we watched a lot of um uh, a lot of special features in meet since coming back. I've watched a ton of special features for the Clone Wars, just kind of revisiting a lot of a lot of different things. And one of the things that George kind of talked about was having a different, you know, different pushing the music to be a lot different. I've read the the Art of book, and I think they even talk about it there. Where George, he didn't want to use the same motifs of and same themes or whatever from the the films, but he wanted to save those and, and do something different. And if you listen to the, or obviously in the first episode of the Siege of Mandalore, the music is very all old school reminiscent of, you know, the original trilogy. And, and it's great. And it's, it's beautifully done. And then I think that it's almost like they got it out of their system in that episode. And then it goes back to being like a little bit more original Kevin Kiner stuff. And it's probably the best stuff that Kevin's done in Star Wars. And one of the things I loved about it was the fact that it's so different than anything that really was done or at least with like the key, a lot of atmospheric keyboard stuff, which is 100% up my alley. I just got to say that for the record. People are like, why do you like it so much? I just love keyboards and I love when they're just atmospheric, like just two notes going. Like, I love that stuff. I could listen to that all day and I'm not even joking with you. I mean, Brian Eno, if you guys know who that is. Music for airports, baby. It's all I got to say. Um, if you know that record, we were tight. Um, but anyway, but the atmosphere and, and the textures that he creates in that episode of Shattered is just phenomenal. I just rewatched it or watched most of it before we jumped on the uh, the show here. And I love I just love it. And I've, I've rewatched these episodes enough to where the music really stands out where I love the fact that he can go back and do these old school um you know themes and whatnot but then he can create his own and really captures the mood so so well and i even heard people 
to bring up Blade Runner score, Vangelis a little bit, and 100%. Like I'm not, I'm not going to say that's not legit. That is, that's 100%. Seems like a giant influence, but even that, it feels, it feels like Kevin Kiner. It doesn't feel like Vangelis him doing his own Vangelis impression. It's, it definitely feels like it's influenced, but it's its own thing. And beautifully beautifully done and i gotta give a lot of props to that i thought the music well you know we we talk about how important music is in star wars and at least in the last i'd say like what eight years we've really kind of even more it's even more appreciated now than it was i think before then um uh, i think people are just saying how much the music is so much so important star wars and even though i would say i, I haven't loved everything kevin's done in the clone wars over the seven seasons I think this to me just really showed how important Star Wars and music is. And when it's not John Williams or John Williams or not, it's important. And it was so beautifully done in this episode that I just, you know, episodes, I should say, I just, it's, I gotta, I gotta say it right now for the, it's probably the best music of the whole series. So um, as far as the story goes, yeah, it, it, that shattered itself was a little slower than I anticipated, but obviously the the ending is such an emotional impact. And then you have the last episode, um, Victory and Death. I think Victory and Death is maybe one of the best episodes of Clone Wars ever. And it is when I watched it, I was you know again I was a little emotional that day because it, it came out on May the fourth, obviously, and that's the day I brought my daughter home. So it was. Maybe a little, you know, maybe a little bit more emotionally compromised by that point, but I watched it and I was blown away of how beautiful it was. And I don't mean that in like it was beautiful, like like a hyper, you know, I'm trying to be hyper, hyperbolic and saying like, you know, whatever. Like, no, 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 I'm being serious. It was a beautiful episode because it was very much a cartoon, but the themes and the things that that was the way it was done and handled was it just felt so real and so cinematic that I forgot I was watching an animated show. And at the very end and how it, when I say it was beautifully done and it was artfully done as well, like the way it, the way it, you know, it transposes to the modern or the modern empire and how Vader, you know, finds the lightsaber and more eyes flying around again, foreshadowing, her showing up in the rebels and obviously calling back to Mortis, which obviously for those who know, I'm a giant Mortis fan. So that was like doing a fist pump when I saw that. And, but also again, the things like seeing Vader's eyes through his lenses. And also again, the final shot was so beautifully and artfully done. I was blown away. I was literally blown away of how well Dave Filoni ended the clone wars and not in a very, it wasn't done in a way where I feel it was predictable. One, it made sense. I think a lot of us would a lot of us would have predicted Vader might have showed up, might show up. It wasn't a guarantee, obviously, but we weren't shocked necessarily that he did. But how and, and what he did with Vader just at the very end, very very just you know short and sweet, it was perfect. And it was and again, it was beautiful. There was a lot of imagery, uh, beautiful imagery. Uh, that was shown there. And I think that it should not be forgotten how well that was done. And I know Dave didn't direct the episodes, but obviously he's, he's an executive producer and he, he gets to approve, he has to approve everything and, and whatever. And I'm sure he had a, hey, I'm sure he had a heavy hand in developing and, and creating this up these episodes, but whether you want to give him full credit or not, he wrote the episode and I could not believe how well 
it was written. And I and I also love the the callbacks to even the Y Wings. And I don't know, I I haven't gotten that far in your guys' review for last week. And I'm curious if what if what you guys think of this, but I thought it only made sense that they would be using the Y Wings at the very end because they were introduced in the Clone Wars and it was a you know a prominent thing. And the connection to the OT. Again, I love these these kind of Easter eggs, kind of, you know. Uh, themes, if you will, that they used in the episode. And again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think I think See, the that's Y-wing why we is... missed you on the last episode, Paul. Getting insights oh, like oh. that because honestly, <laughs> I didn't think about that, but it makes total sense when you look at it that way. How that is the perfect ship to use in that scenario to be yeah. their final escape of the Clone Wars. Yeah. See, I and I thought about it just in a more simplistic sense that it's a two-man ship. Yeah, and, and, and that could be it too. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I feel like, and I, I maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it because of its tie to the original trilogy, it feels that's what they're. It's kind of like again, just a great, like a, a great sort thing. of a bridge into what's next. Almost. Exactly, because it destroys, and and obviously the Y wings are modified. They're not. They don't look like that anymore because they're modified and broken down and and stripped and whatnot. And that's what they eventually do. They start from this classy thing and they end up crashing and being something completely different. So, again, maybe I'm reading too much into that. And I would love to ask Dave that one day, which will never happen. But I, 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 but I honestly, I think that I think that was intentional. I think that was one, not just a two seater, but I think because there's other ships that you could use for, use, use for two seaters. Um, but it just made a lot, the most sense. And and just again, that theme of bridging into the next trilogy and the next era. Just it, I just love that, and it was all over this episode. And the fact of, again, the the last shot just is so beautiful. It really is. I, I don't want to like I hate to I don't want to over overdo it here, but I really got to say it. It's it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Yeah. I could not believe how great it was, and everything, even like with Ahsoka and and Maul. I love the idea, and then it's not just episode, but just this um. Or yeah, it's the episode, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the idea of the Clone Wars was about the Clone Wars, right? But we also got to see two people specifically through the series be their stories were told. And essentially that's Maul and Ahsoka. And even though Maul was in it as much as as Ahsoka, they you got it's pretty much you could you could argue that it's very much like they are the focus of of these of these series because Maul was in a lot of it, and Ahsoka's in most of it, and you get to see it. They're they're developed so they're they're so fully developed comparatively to an Anakin and Obi Wan, and they have their arcs and they have their moments and they set up different things for those characters. But obviously, Ahsoka and and, and Maul to a little bit of a lesser extent, they are the focus and they're the ones that are kind of the, the leftovers of Episode Three that you needed to kind of handle, and. One of the things I think, again, maybe we're just taking it for granted again, is when those two characters and even Captain Rex, they're where they are in response to episode three is beautifully told. Also, it's it's not just a we need to put them somewhere. So how do we do this? No, no. It was so perfectly written and set up and done in a way that it makes so much sense. And I don't feel that. Well, where's Ahsoka? Where's Rex? Well, there's got to be a good explanation. It's not just a good explanation. It's a great explanation. It's a perfect, perfect explanation of why they aren't there. Or why isn't Maul in part, you know, if he's out and about in uh, in Solo, 
Where the hell is he in episode three then? Why does he have a, a more of an impact? And and these are the things we've thought about before. You know, well, yeah, Siege of Mandalore is, a, is the reason why, but why? What specifically is is it is it the best creative decision to have him not there because you have to it has to be a great decision right it has to be a legitimate reason why these people aren't there and aren't mentioned in, at that point even though it was these, these stories weren't written or even thought of during this movie you have to create and and give it the perfect explanation it's and you don't want to do a, a half crap job because people are going to criticize it to death right like well that's stupid that's that's because you had to get rid of them and you know whatever to me, Siege of Mandalore and through these four episodes and and, and with the uh, victory and death, it's perfect. And you get to see why Rex doesn't isn't in uh, Revenge of the Sith and isn't in with the 501st. It's because he gave it to Ahsoka. You know, he's helping Ahsoka and it makes, and again, you're not like, oh, he has to do that. No, it only makes sense. You want Rex to go with her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, you don't totally. just expect it because, oh, he, have to, he has to be gone. But no, you want Rex there. And now you want Maul to be there and to be, you know, have, because again, it's Mandalore is why he's there in the first place. So of course, Maul's trying to set up his own army in, in everything. Again, the Martez sisters from, you know, a lot of people criticize those episodes and I will criticize them a little bit. But at the same time, you have a reason why Maul isn't there. Well, in the Martez sisters arc, you get the idea that Maul is actually, he's got more stuff going on. And then he's trying to take over Mandalore again. So there's a reason why he's not there trying to take on Palpatine and whatnot. So again, there it's obvious they can't be there, but what are the creative reasons why? And they have to they have to be perfect and spot on, or they just seem lazy and you have to have a reason just to have a reason. And that's not the case here. And I think uh, nothing makes the most sense what I'm trying to say as like Ahsoka. To me, the reason why Ahsoka's not there and everything it just it's so perfect and it only makes anakin's fall that make that much more sense in episode three even though he never says it in that movie you feel it when you watch this series and you don't have to see it like i i was talking earlier on twitter um and i haven't done very much of it but i was going you know people did great edits on youtube of when in the timeline when certain things happen and i only did i watched the very beginning of the first episode and right when Anakin leaves Ahsoka to go to save the Chancellor on Coruscant, I switched over from Siege of Mandalore to my 4K of, of Revenge of the Sith. And I started a right when, not, I skipped the scroll, the crawl, obviously. And I went right to that and saw a little bit of them kind of, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin interacting and get on, on the visible hand and whatnot. And honestly, I had to tell you, just a little bit I saw just of that transition it made sense. It, it made sense that the, that Anakin wouldn't mention Ahsoka or whatever, because he's right now he's because you guys talked about a little bit before too on your on your last episode that I've listened to, is that Anakin left Ahsoka and Rex assuming he was going to see him again, like right away, like he's assuming he's going to see them when he leaves that on on the show. So in the movie, it makes sense that he's not going to be bringing it up like, hey, everyone, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, he doesn't need to. He's, mm-hmm. he's planning on them soon. Yeah, he's focused so again, on the mission at hand, and then he thinks that they're going to be back together afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's created by Dave Filoni and, and, the, and the Clone Wars staff that they, set, they did a beautiful, brilliant job of setting that up to where it makes sense in the film. So – and maybe people have been talking about it. I haven't listened to a ton of reviews from these from people 
from other podcasts or anything. Um, and I plan on doing that at some point, but I gotta say, I don't know if a lot of people are saying that enough about these episodes that it really does justify the reasons of them maybe not being in that movie and why, and not just because they're not there and they weren't written and created by that point or those stories weren't, weren't created, but they made brilliant decisions of why they aren't there from a story standpoint and not a, it wasn't lazily done and it was done in a, in a very careful manner to where it was building. It was all built from a, a great foundation and it was, and it naturally led to that point. And I think that is a big, big uh, credit to Dave Filoni and George Lucas. And obviously George Lucas didn't have a, he, he wasn't directly, directly on these episodes, but he obviously had a huge influence and, obviously helped orchestrate these things and whatnot. Um, and obviously had a, a hand in the storytelling a little bit, but Dave Filoni and, and, and his, his crew of, of Clone Wars writers and directors are the reason why these, these turned out so well. And you gotta, you gotta give them a lot of credit on this, that they took a lot of, of Canon and of consideration that was, you know, from what comes at before them and what's going to come after them and what they got to do in the moment. And they did a brilliant job of juggling everything and i think that 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 is not to be lost on this and that they they delivered on something that would be extremely difficult considering i hate to throw this out there on the sequel trilogy but on on look at the, tr the sequel trilogy and how it had six films to build off of and you can say what you want whether you like it or you dislike the rise of skywalker or you dislike all of it or you like all of it or if you just you know if you if you compare the these two entities and there are vastly different things the apples and oranges but just bear with me the planning the consideration of again what's come before what's going to come after what's coming in the moment and everything you get to see the kind of ideas of what's planned what isn't and the strengths of of those different things and we all know George didn't plan the prequel trilogy to a to a perfect extent maybe even more so as a as maybe Dave Filoni and all them in the Clone Wars and having a, a real clear uh, direction, but I, you just got to see where this is where Canon. And I think you know, there's been a lot of conversation about is Canon matter. And I've seen a lot of things on YouTube and, and IO nine stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it right now. stupid article about Canon ruining stories. And I just, I couldn't disagree with that more. And this is a great example of the Canon it really is just making things that much better and the impact, even though that this is going back in time, it's not linear. This is something that's going, it's already, it's being planted in the middle of things that are, that are already established and you have to kind of like figure things out. And you know, what's funny is Tim, you brought it up too, is that the Ahsoka novel has been kind of deemed a little bit legends now because the things didn't go completely the what E.K. Johnson wrote in the book. But you well, know what? here's the thing I would say about that. The now, I would not say the Ahsoka novel is legends. Now there are a few things no, 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 no. in there that yeah, the that the yeah. Siege of Mandalore episodes sort of retconned, but they're all things that are in flashback sequences in the book where you're seeing snippets of the Siege of Mandalore and what happened to Rex and Ahsoka like after Order 66. And it's all flashback stuff that doesn't really pertain to the main story of that book. And I think that's the main, you know, thing that counts. And like that story hasn't been changed at all. And no, I think to the point of saying. to the point of that article that you're talking about, and even not necessarily just that article, I know there's been a little bit bit of conversation recently about canon, you know, 
not mattering as much as people think it does. And I think you're right. It really does strengthen the story that much more when things line up. But at the same time, I do see the other side where, for example, in these episodes, Dave Filoni told his own story, changed some things that were already established in canon from that novel, but did them so much better in the episodes. Whereas if, you know, the Luke, if the story group had told him or he even had decided himself that like, oh, because it's on paper in this novel, I have to do it this way. These episodes would not have been nearly as effective. Um, at least in those certain moments, like the capture of Maul and and whatnot. So I think there is an argument to be made there that canon doesn't necessarily, like, isn't the most important thing all the time, 100%. But I think when, at the same time, when things do line up and when you build up to a story like this over the course of several hours of television and whatnot, um, that it just makes things that much better. Well, and what what I was going to say before you um, you, you uh, commented there was the Ahsoka novel is itself is not legends. I'm not. I wasn't going to say that, but there was contradictories there, right? But the the thing is, those events, the the whole overall event still happened. The fine, the the super fine, fine, fine details, like how exactly Maul was captured, those aren't the big deals. Yeah. You can retcon and work around that. That's what I was going to say. That to me is not what I'm, the canon I'm talking about. I'm talking about the story, the overall story. The spirit is all there. And as far as like Ahsoka faking her own death, you can get around that because you could say her leaving her lightsaber is her faking her death. How many times have, you know, how many retcons has George done? And then Dave Filoni had to like work around those retcons. I mean, all the time. That's that's what. Yeah, yeah heck, George had to work around his own retcons, like exactly. Uh, you know, like <laughs> oh, like Leia remembers her, her, her mother. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is my point. It's not. It's not so much this fine, exact, you know, verbatim details like their lightsabers were, were blue instead of green. That kind of crap. I mean, like, yeah. whatever. But I, I think mean, that's what people are talking about as far as like canon being that specific. And it's like, yeah, those details don't always have to line up for the story to still be good. I agree with that. Yeah. But see, but well, what I got out of the article was they're talking about just in general canon, like just adhering to a story and how if you make your story so interconnected that you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And that's where I was disagreeing. And I, and that's what, I, and then again, the minute details that we're talking about, Kyle, that's not, I don't think what, I don't think that's an, as much as an issue as where the article was talking about the overall, like you can't, when you adhere too much to one story, and everything has to be connected to that one story, then you are a detriment. It, it becomes a detriment. And that's what I would say. No, you're wrong. Cause you're not a slave to that. You have to, you know, you have to obviously adhere to characterization and that's what Canon is. It's a character it, it's established characterization and keeping with that characterization. So if you do a, if a character naturally changes, take like Ahsoka, right? Ahsoka through the series, she had a character arc and changed. If you did all of a sudden had this, you know, we all would, we, I think most of, most of us would say that Ahsoka's arc in the Clone Wars is amazing and it, because she changes, she's not the same person she was at the very beginning. If you all of a sudden wrote a story that was an older Ahsoka, but then was acting like she did in the original Clone Wars movie and you're like, and you ignored a bunch of stuff that happened to her, it would feel weird and wouldn't make sense. And again, that's my point is that you, there's a point to where I understand arguments can be on either side, but to me, Star Wars specifically, it's very much people are invested in the character arcs and the, in the characterizations these, these characters go through. 
And to ignore that and think that no one really cares is just foolish. I'm sorry. It is. And I think to me, the Clone Wars is a great example of the canon Again, stuff that came before it and so that stuff that's come after it and then working their way through it. And it's not all pretty. It doesn't have to always be pretty. Let's be real. I mean, again, Tim, we come from the comic book world. Nothing is ever pretty in canon in those things. And it's things are constantly shifting around oh, and whatnot. <laughs> I mean, in Star Wars, is no different either. Even in the EU, things were constantly, you know, uh, what, wait, these Devastator uh, of Worlds or whatever, these, you know, Devastators, world devastators. Uh, That's why legends had to happen. It just had to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like these world devastators did acknowledge the Kevin J. Anderson thing, and what does that mean? Why did they, you know, again? It they made it work, and the same thing with the the, the Ahsoka novel and and Siege of Mandalore. Yeah, there's some inconsistencies, inconsistencies, but you know what? The spirit is there. It's ultimately you're acknowledging the fact that the Siege of Mandalore happened, and Maul and Ahsoka were there. And to me, as long as it got most of that right, you're good. If it said Ahsoka and Maul teamed up and they fought a million clones and they killed a, you know half the whole ship and did all that, then that would be a total contradiction, obviously, and it would be different. But it wasn't it. You don't get those. Go ahead, Kyle. Well, I was just gonna say I I think these episodes are a perfect example of kind of combining the best of both worlds of that. Like you said, respecting canon and what and what's come before and obviously building on a lot of details and character relationships and things that have been built over the course of this entire series and that tie very neatly into uh revenge of the sith and even you know connecting this whole timeline between attack of the clones and revenge of the sith and i think they even they did a perfect job of sort of skirting around the established canon of revenge of the sith and making points in these episodes line up with points in those in in that movie and kind of adding additional subtext to things or adding conversations between ahsoka and obi-wan that happened during revenge of the sith but it doesn't change anything Which they about... didn't have to do either exactly <laughs> like, but it but it doesn't it. it doesn't change anything about that movie they don't mm -hmm. skirt around anything that makes you feel like oh this shouldn't have really been able to happen but mm -hmm. okay sure whatever like yeah they they did that perfectly at the same time they skirt around some things from the ahsoka novel and even from rebels where rex says that like he didn't turn on his his jedi um and sure, you can get into semantics and be like, oh, well, technically he said, you know, it was true because Ahsoka wasn't really a Jedi. Like, you know, it's the whole Obi-Wan, like, yeah, depending on your point of view. But the the spirit of that is true because he, exactly. didn't, he didn't kill Ahsoka. He helped her escape, but he did initially turn on her. And, you know, if Dave Filoni had stuck to exactly what he himself, you know, put in the story in Rebels, I mean, I, I don't remember if he wrote or directed that particular episode, but I'm sure that was mm -hmm. sort of his story decision to bring Rex back and kind yeah. of work mm -hmm. in what happened after Order 66 and all that. Um, and he almost kind of pour, pulled a George Lucas here, like retconning himself a little bit, but doing it to ultimately the benefit the to the benefit of the story he was telling. And Absolutely. so, but it also, like I said, respects the spirit of that. It doesn't completely mm -hmm. contradict it. I mean, it would be one thing if we saw Rex like kill Ahsoka <laughs> or if at the end of this yeah. episode, like Ahsoka and Rex both survived, but Rex was now serving the empire. And it's like, well, how yeah. does he get out in the middle of nowhere on his thing? You know, it's like everything lines up to where it's supposed to be. Even if the details are a little fuzzy on how they get there and they may be skirted around some things like the, exactly. it's ultimately for the benefit of the story and the spirit of those things is mm -hmm. all true to where it needs to be. Again, going back to return of the Jedi, Leia, do you remember your mother, your real mother? And she's like, oh, yeah, she was sad. She never, you know, in Re Re Revenge of the Sith, 
she, she's a baby and she goes right you know, from infancy to her, you know, her parent, her, her parents, you know, that, uh, that raise her. So it's, I mean, you, you can, you can argue this stuff and you, at some point there's going to be retcons. It's not all good. Nothing's ever going to be smooth. I, I, that's just the reality. Whatever continuity you go through, look at the MCU. MCU's done a pretty good job, but it's not 100% clean either. So as long as, like, and I, I love how we're all kind of agreement on this, is that the the exact details, whatever, you're going to have some inconsistencies. That's just human error, right? But at the same time, as long as the spirit's there, that's all that matters. And I think that, to me, is why... Again, I think that's why the Clone Wars Siege of Mandalore does such an amazing job is that it honors in, in the spirit of everything. It captures that, whether it be the Clone Wars, it captures the overall spirit of Star Wars, it captures the overall spirit of canon going forward and what to expect. I mean, and that's another thing I want to talk about is that looking at these, these four episodes, it's weirdly like we're looking at the future of Star Wars through the past of Star Wars. And because these these Clone Wars episodes are are older or these you know old stories that they're finally putting out there and they're mod they remodified it and reworked it. And I think Dave Filoni, if not, will be a have a bigger name in Star Wars. He should have a bigger name and say in Star Wars. But just seeing how I, we saw how this worked out, it just felt like we're seeing the future. And and, and not just because of the rumors of Ahsoka and all that crap. I'm, I'm talking about just like the overall feeling of what we should expect from Star Wars kind of going forward and when it's done right. And I felt this what it what it felt like, even though I, I felt that we got good Star Wars and Rise of Skywalker. And but to me, this seems like that was more of a, of a, a real finale of things. And just kind of and JJ and Chris Terrell are, are obviously not working on Star Wars anymore. And and I think I might be saying something different if, let's say, Chris Terrio himself or J.J. himself were going to continue on different Star Wars projects. I'd be like, oh, whatever. Dave Filoni is continuing on in, in, into different series and whatnot. And we know that he potentially could go do even more and John Favreau and whatnot. And I feel that what we're seeing with Ahsoka and Maul and the animation, the style, how good it looked, we're looking through and the fact that it's completing the Clone Wars, something we've, that's been existed for, is over 10 years. We're seeing kind of the future and what the potential of Star Wars can be without the Skywalker saga. Because even though these characters are spin off from the Skywalker saga, this is not them, right? This is their, these are their own characters. And this is what I was trying to say earlier that Ahsoka, you know, it's only fitting that the Clone Wars would end on these two characters' arcs and what they do and, and kind of where they're at. And it just makes the most sense. And it, again, it just felt like the future of Star Wars. We were we were witnessing it because we're seeing this beautiful animation with these great characters that we all care about. And guess what, Disney? These aren't these aren't the Skywalker saga characters. These are non these are non characters from that saga that are, are separate. And we and all the fans are on pins and needles trying to and can't wait to find out what happens when these two characters fight when we already know what's going to happen to them from rebels yeah and so again we i get and maybe the numbers aren't as big as disney you know wants and they that doesn't matter and that's a whole different conversation but regardless we talked about niche market and again these animated characters having a way bigger being a way bigger deal than than what um 
then uh, or to these this niche market, and maybe you could market that to the you know more mainstream audience. To me, it just showed you that, that Star Wars can be can go beyond the Skywalker saga and those characters if done right and developed right. And looking at the animation that you get and everything, it's it was just crazy to see. I felt like I was watching the future in the past. If that makes any sense at all to you guys, I'm curious if you would. You see my point at all? I see your point. It's just, I'm. It's almost like I'm not. I get what you're saying. How you're viewing it from the past and what how great Star Wars could be. But I didn't necessarily get the future aspect that you're referring to. It's somewhere I'm hopeful that this is what the future could be and the potential of what Star Wars could be at its very best. And you make a great point how it's not involved with the Skywalker saga, but in particular, these last two episodes. You could say the whole arc, even though Obi-Wan and Anakin were in the first two episodes. But just to reiterate how much you're invested with Ahsoka and Rex and even Maul in these last few episodes. And like you said, we know they're going to survive this, but at the same time, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just so engrossed and just at the edge of my seat during those last two episodes as far as how they're going to get through this. And that's no easy task when, like I said, you know they're going to survive and get out of this. But the fact you still feel that tension for these characters that you love so much it just speaks to the volume of the quality of the writing, the characters, just everything about it and how Star Wars is just the very best when it's being done at a level like this. And it's just something that you hope for for every Star Wars content that we get. And the more we do get, the more likely where that's not always going to be the case. But I always like to remain hopeful that that will be something that everyone strives for that we as fans can hopefully get. Because you're totally right, Paul, about having that special feeling you got after watching these episodes that you just watch something that really affected you and moved you like great Star Wars stories do. And it's just a great feeling to have. But at the same time, it was one that was kind of a emotional downer <laughs> with how things ended. But it just felt so perfect. It just felt so right. And I'm probably repeating what I said at the end of our last episode of just how great this finale was. But it just bears repeating, I think, because it just did leave you with a special feeling that I think only Star Wars can give you when it's on that particular quality. And it's just giving you something that, you know, we had expectations for for a lot of years now. And you can even go back to when we first were introduced to Ahsoka and Rex and wondering what's going to happen to them in Revenge of the Sith. And then you throw in the anticipation for knowing that it was going to have to do with Mandalore, Maul was going to be involved. And we were sitting on that idea for a couple of years when they revealed that that's how the Clone Wars was going to end. And for it to deliver, and I would say surpass, at least for me, expectations on what I can expect for this final Clone Wars stories. I mean, it was just incredible to have that feeling watching. I I was going to say a Star Wars TV show, but I'm just going to say just watching Star Wars because I, I say this all the time, but I try not to separate the movies from the tv shows because to me it's just all star wars and when it's on this high level that's what just you just got to view it all as one because sometimes when you say a tv show you might think it of a little less quality than you would the feature films but we've said this before even before siege of mandalore how there's clone wars and rebels arcs that i would put up there just with with the movies and this one is without question like that it just felt so good watching amazing Star Wars. And you know, especially you, Paul, you know how much we love the Rise of Skywalker, but this one just 
amped up those amazing special feelings you get when you really seen something great with Star Wars more so than when I felt with that. And that's saying something <laughs> because, like I said, you know how much I love the ending for that. Yeah. But it's just amazing when we get stuff like this. And it's just, like I said, a special feeling you get as a Star Wars fan when it moves you the way that these episodes did and how it ended. And to be fair, the, and really, really fast, Cal, just, I just want to, about the Rise of Skywalker and the sequel trilogy, it's not as fair to compare the two because you've had 10 years plus with a lot of these characters and they've had plenty of time and opportunities to develop and go through some growing pains. Whereas I think the sequel trilogy characters had a, obviously a more limited window to work with and limited time frame and in general. And though I think for the most part, it's been successful in the sense to where I like, I like characters. I love Skywalker, but I was on pins and needles with with Maul and Ahsoka, and I knew exactly where they were going. And that's, mm-hmm. again, good storytelling. So, anyway, I apologize. I just wanted to kind of reiterate that real quick. Real quick. Yeah, no, and I think as far as, um, you know, you were saying this kind of representing, like, the future of Star Wars. I mean, for me, I'm not taking it for granted. Like, I would love it if every Star Wars story we got in the future was this quality and, and you know, at this level. But, I mean, this was such a such a long time coming. I mean, obviously with it being the finale of a show that's been on for years and and we've loved watching the journey of all these characters and this just sort of being the pinnacle of all that. But then even the fact that it was canceled and they had to fight to bring it back and for us to even get this finale. Um, I mean, again, I, I know that Dave Filoni is still involved and I love everything that he's doing with the Mandalorian and hopefully we get some more great stuff from Star Wars animation in the future. And I would love to see more animated series like where the animation quality is on this level. Um, I I don't know if they'd ever be willing to to put this much into it again for like an ongoing series because again I mean they knew how much of a demand there was for this last season of Clone Wars and I don't know what their budget was but it was obviously way higher than it was for for like Rebels or Resistance um, for a twelve episode stretch so um, yeah I don't know I mean I'm I'm trying not to think too much about like oh, you know, okay, so this is like setting a benchmark now and what is this going to mean for Star Wars moving forward and is everything going to live up to this? Because I'm not expecting it to. I mean, this was kind of just like you were saying, Tim, like something that we've been looking forward to for a long time. There was a lot of build-up to this and it delivered pretty much on all fronts and and met or surpassed all expectations. Um, And I'm just super grateful for that. And, and again, just trying not to take that for granted and project that onto, okay, now all Star Wars stories have to be this good or everything has to end with a finale that's as good as the Siege of Mandalore. I'm just glad that we got this. And whatever comes next, I'll kind of judge that on its own merits. Again, I mean, I have a lot of faith going forward that they can do more great stories and especially, you know, anything that Dave Filoni's involved, you guys know I'm that guy's number one fan. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just enjoying this for what it is. Yeah, that's probably the best way to look at it, too, not to take it for granted, because as I was mentioning, and I don't want to repeat myself, this is that the more content we get, the less likely everything's going to be up to that level of quality and scale for what we got with the Siege of Mandalore. And you really got to enjoy it and appreciate it once we do get that. And But at the same time, I don't want that to make it sound like I don't appreciate the other Star Wars stories that aren't quite up to that level because I always try to find uh, and appreciate things in every single bit of Star Wars content, even though um, they, they're going to be varies 
on the different levels of how much you enjoy them. But I always tend to find something to really like or enjoy in everything of Star Wars. It's oh, very rare. And I can't even right now think off the top of my head of something I just absolutely did not like and don't consider part of Star Wars. I don't think there's anything that's like that for me. The Hollywood's oh wait, the Hollywood, the holiday special kind of notwithstanding, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. So but again Heck, even the, even in that, the animated Boba Fett segment is actually pretty cool. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the animated section yeah, the animated segment's awesome. Are you kidding me? I have the Funko right now. I'm staring at the Boba Fett Funko right now. And he looks great, by the way. I, I there's something about that blue that blue armor that just mm. is kind of cool. There's something about it. I can't explain it, but I, I love it. It's super weird. And obviously the Mandalorian's rifle comes from that. Again, a great touch. It looks ridiculous, but in the show, it's amazing. And so, uh, yeah, that's a... Anyway, again, how things can work, and it doesn't have to be all connected to make it to be good, but it's... a. Uh, but to kind of follow up on the future of Star Wars, I guess what I'm trying to say through that is just with the animation, I feel like this is some. This could be something we could be seeing a lot more of, and maybe future animated films. And because I thought this looked incredible, and I, I, I just, I can't. It just makes the most sense to me that for Disney, Disney, I think from a financial standpoint, potentially say, you know what, we could pump out a couple of these Clone Wars like animated things, and I think people would love it. And maybe a little bit more than two D animation, but. The fans obviously gravitate towards this kind of animation and Star Wars fits it. And if fans love it and they'll keep subscribing to Disney plus to keep watching these animated, you know, whatever, whether it be animated show or, or animated film. And that to me, I, that's where I think they need to go. Is animated I was going to ask you guys a question. What would you rather have a new series that we get every year? And maybe the animation quality is not quite at the level of these Clone Wars ones were, but just because of budget reasons. Or would you rather have them put the money and resources to that animation quality and get a movie every year or maybe one every two years where we just kind of have to wait or, a bit, but yeah. the quality is going to be, as far as animation goes, going to be so much better than what you get on a TV show. I, or would you I rather would, have that regular Star Wars content? Honestly, I would take... A Siege of Mandalore once a year. I think they probably could do twice a year. I think that would make the most sense because if you look at DC, they pump those movies out like they're like it's a factory, man. Yeah, and yeah the but those quality varies. I will say yeah, that. Yeah, that's, no, no, that's nowhere near this level of production quality. No, I, like no, you I can't agree, you can't do two movies a year that are Siege of Mandalore level production. I mean, it, they've been working know. on just these episodes for like three years. That, that's true. Okay, well, let's say if it's once a year, that that quality four or five, you know, say almost two hours, so it's about what four or five episodes potentially crammed into one. And again, Bad Batch, the Martez sister arc, they're all kind of the same kind of quality. They all look great um, as far as the animation goes. Um, I personally would take a miniseries or a movie that's that quality and wait and get good stories. And the only problem with that is, is that the assets and the things that you can use are going to be it's going to be hard to create those and maybe that's because more it's, i'm thinking of more of a of a long-standing series so if that wasn't an issue and you're, you're basically paying for the quality of just a, a movie like uh siege of mandalore in different eras like maybe you got a high republic or an old republic or i was thinking about this what if you did like a sequel trilogy animated instead of a live action and in, in, the, in the vein of, of clone wars something that's really high end 
And I thought about that and I was thinking, you know, I really think animated Star Wars is something that Disney really needs to think about and putting it on Disney Plus makes the most sense. And it's and again, animation's even more accessible to kids. So I don't know. For me personally, I think that them going they because they're gonna do live action regardless. To me, there's a lot more you can do with the animated stuff and a lot more broad, less broad, more kind of, you can be more adventurous and daring and creative, I think, in animation than live action, just because of the technology and, and how expensive everything is and make it look as good. To me, I would love to see more animated films from um, from Disney as for Star Wars. To me, that that to me would be the perfect thing for Disney Plus with live, you know, keep live action movies in the theater keep that keep that going and and whatever but for the for disney plus an anime maybe an animated boba fett film rumored of with with uh terry morrison you know being rumored what if that was animated what was an animated like movie or whatever you know and something like that again maybe not a luke skywalker uh between return of the jedi and force awakens series but what about a movie that kind of goes over kind of him training and kind of preludes to the fall of, of Ben. That's not the uh, adaptation of the, the Kylo Ren comic, but something that kind of preludes that uh, or predates that to kind of do a little bit of a prelude that kind of shows you what Luke was doing in, in his prime um, as training the Jedi. So stuff, stuff like that would be perfect for animated films. And you didn't, you wouldn't necessarily always have to do a animated series to explain those things. So I, that's my opinion. I, I would take once a, one a year that's exceeds Mandalore, I think that'd be perfect. And see, I think I would go opposite. As much as I love the animation quality, I think I would prefer good stories and more of them. Um, and I, I think, you know, if it was, as long as the story content is all, you know, consistent across the same level, I think I would take more good stories with lower animation quality than just one good story every once in a while with with good animation quality. I even feel like with Clone Wars, and I know they've said that, like, oh, it's, you know, these final episodes wouldn't have been as good as they are if we hadn't have done, you know, Rebels and Resistance first and learned all this new technology and, and animation techniques and lighting techniques and all that kind of stuff, um, which is fine. And obviously I love... The you know the I'm glad that the Siege of Mandalore looks as good as it does, but there's a part of me, and I know there's nothing you can do about this because Clone Wars got canceled and and what happened happened, and I'm just glad that they were able to come back to it and finish it. But I really would have loved if we could have gotten this, you know, just had the Clone Wars go go to its conclusion. And like you were talking about, like with these final episodes, the tension is still there, even though we know that Ahsoka and Maul live on to Rebels and and Rex and all that. Um, just because we know the outcome, we still don't know how we get there. And it's still, you're still on the edge of your seat the whole time. And it's still really great storytelling. But imagine how much more heightened that would have been if we didn't know. And and imagine how great these episodes still would have looked if the Clone Wars had just continued on. And you look at how it looked in season five and six and how it continued to get better every year. Like a couple years after that, it still would have looked great. Maybe not quite on this level, but... You know, it, it still would have looked amazing. And so I guess it kind of depends on the animation quality as well. Like, if they're going to do... You know, I wouldn't want them to, like, put out something that looks really cheap. You know, even if the story is good. Like, I'd, I want good production quality. I'm just saying I would be willing to sacrifice a little bit of that for more, more story content. Because even some of the stuff you were talking about, Paul, 
as far as just story ideas. Like, take, for example, Luke's Jedi Academy. Sure, it would be cool to get, like, a two-hour animated movie about that, but I want a series about that. I want Luke and Ben going off on a new adventure every week and just finding ancient Jedi artifacts or resolving conflicts or seeing, you know, just sort of Luke's new approach to what the Jedi can be in this new sort of reshaping phase of the galaxy. And as we've proven with Clone Wars, you can just expand that so much more with a weekly serial format and and go off on different adventures and go to different planets and try different things that may or may not work. And if it's, you know, one-off episode that people don't love, it's no biggie. Whereas if, you know, you you just doing two hours of a movie, that's all you get. And if people don't like it, well then, you know, everybody's mad for two years until the next one comes out. So, and like you said too, like they're going to keep doing live action movies. Um, and I would love to see them attempt an animated movie at some point too, and go for that big production quality like this. Um, if it's just, you know, a good standalone story that works as a movie and that they feel like animation would be a good medium for it. But if I had to choose one or the other, I would rather keep seeing animated series um, because you still get the movies every couple of years for, you know, the, the big live action spectacle and, and sort of those more big epic stories that are, you know, have to be told in, in just a single two hour movie. Um, and then in between that, just get this, the continuous flow of content and just the variety of stories and and chances you get to take and just new things you get to try out by doing a weekly series. So I'd rather go with that. Yeah, both made great points. And I'm kind of leaning towards, because I want to stress too, it's not like comparing, I mean, I don't want to knock resistance, but let's be honest, it wasn't on the same level as Clone Wars and Rebels. So I'm talking a, a, a series where it's going to be on the vein of Rebels and Clone Wars or to have a movie every couple of years or so. And, man, it's tough. Because I think I could see, like I said, I see both of your points. But if I had to choose one, I think I'd go where I would wait for a high-level quality animated movie every couple of years or so. Because they could truly be something really, really special. Not to say that the series can't. But, again, this this reiterates, I think, how special and amazing Siege of Mandalore is is when it, everything about it clicks story performances animation that's on a whole nother level but and, and, and another that so just real quick another reason why i say series though is like because again the siege of mandalore by itself is incredible but it wouldn't be nearly as meaningful if you didn't have seven seasons of the clone wars building up to this you know so i i would true, rather but... have those things that you can pay off over a long a long form and build up to stuff like that that's true, but I think if you do movies with some legacy characters and mm-hmm. characters we're familiar with, we still can have that impact. It's yeah. not necessarily like doing a finale or anything, but it can mm-hmm. just add new layer to these stories and characters that we already know about. Yeah. Give you that same special feeling that the Siege of Mandalore get, gave us with some great character moments and just or, adding new material to stuff that we already love about them. Yeah, or, or how about the fact that you could develop a new set of characters with these animated films and you can develop them over time. Like, let's say you had an animated trilogy, right, where mm-hmm. it was one year and then you come out and so you have you establish, I have a fun adventure on the first one. The second one, you, can, you have the again, same thing as a regular trilogy and darker ones, the second one or whatever. And you have a conclude in the third. You would have that same impact. And again, it really de- it really depends on what kind of story you want to tell. If you want a one and done 
and it's and you're not setting up anything, then you know maybe you use legacy characters. It really depends on ex- what exactly you're telling. And you make a great point that Siege of Mandalore works because you again we've talked about you have ten plus years of content and development of all these different characters. But at the same time, you know you can do that in a film, and that's what makes again that's what makes the the, the medium of film so special is that when you can convey those same things that Ahsoka and Maul did in 10 years in an hour and 10 minutes, and then have your, your, your climax of the film or story be as impactful as that, as 10 years of storytelling. That's what makes the the medium of, of movies so special is that you, in a short amount of time, you feel connected instantly with a certain character and and to be honest, it's it's hard. It's very. I mean, both are very extremely difficult. But obviously, in film, it's extremely hard. And as we're seeing now, that's why television is, I think, more success is being more successful right now overall, in the scope of everything. Not just, not just in Star Wars, but in everything, TV has been obviously the primary focus of a lot of different places because of the fact of binging, and people want some something they can invest in and whatnot. Whereas in film, you've got a short amount of time, you got a short amount of, you know, to convey your whatever story or theme you want to do it. it so, of course, you, if you just do an animated, you know, a short thing, it's going to be hard to convey that to have that much impact. But it is possible because obviously the original trilogy did it. So, I mean, and other people do it all the time in film. So I totally agree that the Siege of Mandalore works because based on all, everything before it. But you can still convey and get people to connect to different characters in a great story in, in an animated, like, one-and-done film. So, it, it, again, it all stems back from it. what exact story do you want to do? Do you want to do one-and-done? Do you want to set up a, a trilogy of stories? Do you want to set up a series? Do you have, you know, it, it all stems from the idea of what you have as a as a writer or whatever. So, it, just, it really depends. But I think it definitely is possible to get to that point with... The, like with Ahsoka and Maul in a film that we don't know the characters as well, as long as it's done the right way. So it's a, again, not an easy feat, but it's a great question because the future of star Wars, especially with COVID and the the fact that theaters aren't exactly, we have no idea what's going to happen with theaters in the next year. We have no idea. I mean, I never would have predicted this would happen right before we went on uh, to galaxy's edge together. Right. So, I mean, seriously, I mean, so we have no idea what's going to happen in theaters. I'm assuming that everything will be, will return in some capacity. In what way? Who knows? But regardless, the future of Star Wars and, and how it's told is very much up in the air. And if theaters do all of a sudden cease to exist and they're not really being used anymore, then Disney Plus becomes that much more of a bigger deal for star Wars and storytelling and what they do with it. It's going to be insane. And and we could see animated films like we're talking about instead of, you know, or whatever. I don't know. The future of star Wars that we've been saying for a long time is in a very, very interesting place. It just got a whole lot more interesting with all the new announcements we've gotten. And I think it, I don't want to say clone Wars has thrown a wrench into it. I don't think it's a bad wrench, but it's thrown a different angle that Disney has to now look at. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Disney looks at the numbers and says, and eh, this isn't that big of a deal. And who knows? But I, I, I refuse to believe that the Clone Wars won't have some kind of impact on how they, disc- how they do Star Wars storytelling going forward, 
um, going from the uh, reviews and the um, all the, all the um, reactions that we've seen online, because I've seen people not even watch uh, the Clone Wars and they watch the Siege of Mandalore and they reviewed it and they liked it. So on on YouTube. So I mean, there's the whole COVID situation and the theater situation and the Clone Wars and and, and Star Wars struggling or with the, I want to say struggling with the mixed reaction of the sequel trilogy as a whole, it's star Wars is in a very interesting place. And now to have the giant success of the Mandalorian. And again, it's a giant success. I, I it's huge. And it's, it's where star Wars is and where it's going to go. We have no idea. And with Kathleen Kennedy, we have no idea how much longer she's going to stay in, in, in leadership and whoever replaces her in the next year or so, or two years, whenever she leaves, because I don't think she's going to last another year, not because she's terrible, but just because I think she wants probably to move on. I mean, she's been criticized heavily by so many different people. I wouldn't blame her for moving on. Um, but that being said, what happens with that person? You know, I mean, right now, I think the Clone Wars has thrown a different wrench into this because where do you go? And 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 seeing the resistance and the fact that that didn't only lasted two seasons. There's just a lot of different things. And I think the Clone Wars and specifically the Siege of Mandalore has only proven what you can do with Star Wars and that you can't just throw Star Wars into a box. Like I think the sequel trilogy kind of did initially with The Force Awakens of, hey, everyone, remember Star Wars? You know, member berries, if you will. And again, I, I like The Force Awakens. I'm not trying to dog it, but it definitely, we talked about it before the show, Kyle, it definitely relied on a little bit of nostalgia, a little bit too much, maybe that, you know, that it, maybe going back into the last Jedi, you know, which was a drastic change. It was kind of a culture shock to a lot of people We're now, you know, but now we have to kind of think of how we can't think of star Wars as the same thing. We can't, we can't put it into a box. We got to think outside the box and, and not just one time like the last Jedi and then go back. Let's think about, everything going forward we what can star wars do how can we stretch star wars out to new people out there and i think that the siege of mandalore is a great example of what it can do even though it has 10 years of, of history people still watched it and still liked it and still could follow it so it's again star wars is in a very interesting place amid amidst the the problems of what's going on in the world and how they tell stories and think about this too we got the mandalorian and how that's not been you know, changed with everything with COVID. Well, that's huge. That's a big, big deal. And the fact that that hasn't changed is, again, going to, I think, play into future Star Wars things and going, okay, if people are just now like, – we have the Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian documentary series, which has been phenomenal. And, you know, with that and the Mandalorian, it's like – Disney Plus is could be cementing itself with Star Wars with this. And if people, mainstream audiences are getting used to Star Wars on Disney Plus, and if theaters are going to be maybe not as intense as before going forward, this could be how we consume Star Wars maybe long term. I don't know. It really, it, it, I'm not saying it will, but it could alter even more plans than we anticipated. So, it's fascinating, but I think the Siege of Mandalore, honestly, is going to play a part in that. So it's, uh, yeah, Siege of Mandalore is is going to be a game changer across the board on many different levels, and that's that's one of them. And I, I just, yeah, I kind of my close-out thoughts of, of Siege of Mandalore, it's, it's by far 
one of the best. If maybe it, it maybe be the best. You guys kind of talked about it before. You didn't know if it was gonna be the best or not. You know, maybe you know, maybe might be some, maybe not your favorite. But I will say this: it's definitely up there. It might be my favorite. I don't know, but I will without without a doubt say that it may not. It probably is my. It could be my favorite, but it is without a doubt maybe the. I think it's by far the best arc. If that makes any sense, it may not be my favorite, but if I had to pick one that was like the best animated animation with the best acting, the best writing, et cetera, et cetera, best music, it, it Siege of Mandalore wins everything. It may not, you know, my favorite may not be the best of all those um, those categories, but I think the Siege of Mandalore is the best within if you compare it to the, all those different categories is like quality and and whatnot so it's definitely up there but i think it's the best as far as that goes i'm not sure favorite yet we'll wait and see but it's definitely up there it's a phenomenal piece of star wars storytelling yeah absolutely i mean i think i would probably say it's my favorite um just because it's firing on so many cylinders and and just has so much good stuff in there and like you said just the execution on all fronts from music to animation to storytelling to voice acting and you know just everybody brought their a game um and yeah i mean like i said i i just don't like on the one hand yeah hopefully disney looks at that success and goes okay let's do more stuff that's this good and and is on this level but at the same time you know it it doesn't exist in a vacuum i mean it would be like somebody watching avengers endgame and saying hey that was a really good movie i want to make movies make a movie just like this and it's like well you can't do that without 22 movies of build-up you know if you just watch that movie by itself it's like oh this is a pretty cool action movie but you know when you've seen everything that comes before and everything that leads up to it that's what makes it that special and i'm not saying that like it's a bad movie on its own or anything like that um like it's it can work as a self-contained story but that like there's so much more that's added to it by everything that came before and it's the same case with clone wars so um i don't know but at the same time i mean if this motivates them to say hey we should do more stories with you know more animated stories with this level of production quality because of how well this is doing then hey go for it man um I remember even seeing like on Twitter, one of the guys who's like an animator on, on Clone Wars or something like one of the animation directors, he was tweeting about this as everybody was sort of raving about the final episodes and said like, Hey, you know, we love the support and, you know, keep watching it and keep letting them know, because like, if you guys keep watching it, we'll keep making more of it. Um, which I don't know that he necessarily meant Clone Wars specifically because I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're done with Clone Wars and I'm totally okay with that. I know there are a lot of, unproduced episodes still and i know there are people out there who now you know at first it was save the clone wars now there are people hashtagging continue the clone wars or finish the clone wars um and as much as i would love to see some of those other unfinished episodes i mean at this point we've got our proper conclusion to it i'm happy with it you know we've got seven seasons of great star wars content and honestly, if they're going to keep doing stuff at this level of production quality, I'd rather see new stories. I'd rather see an animated series about Luke Skywalker that's done in this format or the old Republic or, or you know, something else um, and and see them, you know, sort of direct their attention elsewhere, especially now that the Clone Wars is over. I think especially because this is drawing in some new viewers too. like people might get confused about the timeline and where new episodes would take place and, and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, I say let it go out on a high note. I'm just super grateful that we got a, conclu- a proper conclusion to it after all these years. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where they take it from here and what they do next. 
We'll be here to watch it. That's for darn sure. No matter what. Oh, they do. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, obviously, we've we've talked Siege of Mandalore, and I know we we had talked previously. Like we kind of did reviews as well about uh, the Bad Batch arc and the Ahsoka arc. Um, but how are you guys kind of feeling about like season seven overall? Well, I, I gotta leave soon, so I'll kind of give my thoughts, and I'll probably bail out here. Um, so, sorry, Tim. Um, so. Oh, no for me, I, I think season season seven was a success. Would I have liked it to have been longer? Would I have liked to have seen the Bad Batch, the Martez trilogy, or four four episodes? Excuse me, Freudian slip. Um, and uh, and the Siege of Mandalore, uh, it, it, with some other things like the Boba arc that we haven't seen, which that goes uh, that I really want to see made, um, or whatever. Uh, yeah, sure. But you know what? We didn't. Um, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more, but I'm not going to be greedy because what we got, I thought, was 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 incredible. I thought the Bad Batch arc, even though I've seen it, and it's not my favorite. I think stories of of the untold stuff that they were, that again, I would have preferred the Boba and Cad Bane. But at the same time, I understand why they did it now because they wanted to really have tell stories of rex and ahsoka specifically so that siege of mandalore has an impact for for viewers and they can refresh themselves and looking at looking at it from that perspective it makes a lot of sense and actually makes the season really really awesome to be honest and i thought for the most part it wasn't perfect no but no season of clone wars is perfect but it's to be honest I, i thought it was still well done I thought the Bad Batch arc was, you know, I thought even the Bad Batch arc was probably a little bit longer than it needed to be, needed to be, excuse me, because they're both what? They're all four episodes, correct? Yeah. I I thought, I mean, even though I, I, I don't think, I think the four episodes were good. And the Martez trilogy obviously should have been a trilogy, not a four episode. I thought that four episodes were way too long. And I think most people would agree with that, even for people who really liked those, those episodes. And, I know a lot Especially of where one ends right where it started. <laughs> That's where you kind of yeah. go. Yeah. You're like, okay, really? I mean, and I think, and again, I'm not, I am not a hater of that, of those episodes. I've only seen them once now and they're not ones I, I'll probably revisit a lot, but I think they were important and crucial to, to really setting up Ahsoka and where she is in yeah. Siege of Mandalore. And with that, because of that, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it, and it really works. And I love them going to Kessel and I loved and I thought the Martez sisters weren't that bad, to be honest. I know a lot of people were talking mess with them a little bit. And yeah, I can understand why, you know, maybe you wanted something different. But at the same time, I thought they were interesting. And I don't think they were, I, I just think they were, I, I just think the episodes were went on too long. And I, I don't think that was, and again, that that's an hindsight thing. And maybe they wanted to have an even 12 and they go, well, we can stretch this one out and whatever. But regardless, I think it was still a solid arc. I don't think it was that bad. And I got to say that I think that, again, it makes Ahsoka's you know arc in Siege of Mandalore that much better. It makes a lot more sense. So as a whole, I'd say, I'd say season seven was 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 good. I, I, I think it's on par, if not better than season six. And season six had some great moments, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing a rewatch of, of Clone Wars right now, and I just kind of got through season one. And uh, so I was, I, this is what I was going to tell people, uh, guys, on the my hot take, my Clone Wars hot take. Here it is. Watch out. <laughs> Here it is. No, and, and for the record, I love Clone Wars. 
it's on par with the films. It's again, it rekindled my love of Star Wars. Without the Clone Wars, I'm not sure I'd be here. And I mean that 100% because when the sequel trilogy was announced, I was already still involved in Star Wars as far as watching the Clone Wars on Blu-ray when it got released. And I couldn't, and I, I was binging it that way. And I couldn't wait. And every time I got the Clone Wars Blu-ray, I'd always end up buying a crap load of Star Wars comics to get caught up on because I was getting excited about Star Wars. And I always look forward to diving back into Star Wars around when Clone Wars got re-released on Blu-ray or whatever. So when the sequel trilogy got, trilogy got announced, that's when, like, I lost my mind. And it, and, it, and again, it's because I already had the Clone Wars and I started diving even more, rewatching all those episodes and whatever. So Clone Wars is a big deal for me of keeping my fandom alive for Star Wars. So... Um, my hot take is this. I know everyone loves chronological things. I think Star Wars still, or the Clone Wars specifically, excuse me, works better when you watch it by season and not chronologically. I know uh-huh. I know it's cool to watch it chronologically and and I love I, I love the idea of it being a prequel to a prequel and and how cool that is. And uh, you know what? After watching the first season, and again, I'm not watching every episode, so there's episodes I know I'm not, I already don't really like very much, like the Shadow Virus episodes. I didn't rewatch those ones. I didn't care. And, and I, you know, I'm watching the special features and, and I, I'm like, oh yeah, that happened in that episode. I, told, I, I like the little kid in season one. I totally forgot about him. And I don't really care. I'm like, eh, I don't need, I don't care about him. Um, you know, so I'm not watching every episode, but I'm watching, let's say like 85, 80% of the season. But watching that season, and I got to season two, and I watched the first couple episodes, I kind of thought to myself, you know, it's I think Clone Wars works better if you just watch it by season and not by chronological order. Because the animation, like, it jumps so much in season two. Like, I, I kind of forgot how much of a drastic change it kind of is. It's like already, it steps up all, like, from it goes from like a, let's say season one animation, like, quality is like a, this is going to sound more crude than I mean it to be, but like, it's like a six and a half, I'd say, you know, again, just bear with me. I'm not saying it's that bad because I love season one, but like season two goes from a six and a half to like an eight and a half. I'm like, Whoa, mm-hmm. it's like way different. And it's kind of drastic, but um, just everything. Do you kind of see the progression of how good they get from storytellers and in star Wars? And so just kind of see how it improves every episode and it's just easier to kind of follow for me. And I just kind of, you know what? It's cool to say, do it, say, do it chronological. I'm a season guy. I just kind of, it came to me. And that, I, that's why I think it should be done. Not chronological season. So that's my hot take. Um, so going I back haven't to, even done a chronological watch. Yet. I've been meaning to, but I eh, kind of fall into the okay. same <laughs> pattern. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I started doing a chronological rewatch like last year that I was going to do leading up to Siege of Mandalore, and I just never got all the way through it. Yeah, and, and to me, seasons, it's, it just feels better to do seasons. So when I so when I think about comparing the seasons, and I, I haven't gotten to season six, and I can't wait, because, again, I like most of season six. I didn't love the Clovis, the banking arc. It's kind of, uh, it kind of falls in the Martez sister a little bit, even though I have a, an amazing... Um, Oh my gosh, what's his name? The 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 Filoni bounty hunter uh Embo. Embo. Yeah, the Embo. There's a great Anakin versus Embo thing in there. And there's some great stuff in with Kessel, I think, in the Martez sisters, but the Baking Clan episodes and the the Clo- the, the Clovis episodes and the uh the Martez sisters episodes, they're all kind of similar to me. They're not episodes I, I'm like, oh, I gotta watch these again. But when I get to my rewatch, I'll watch them because 
I think they're not terrible, and I think they're really important to to Ahsoka's character, and that's why I, I, I'm invested in Ahsoka. I love Ahsoka. She she may be one of my favorite Star Wars characters, um, which I just kind of brought to my attention. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I do end up loving. I do love Ahsoka a lot, actually. Um, so anyway, I, I guess when I compare these, you know, before I head out here, I would say I would say it's equal, maybe a smidge over season six. Um, when I compare it, because just because Siege of Mandalore is that good, but Yoda arc, I think is like an all timer. That might be my favorite yeah. arc, to be honest, even over Siege, just because of the mythology building that George was, has his fingers all over and what it means for the greater Skywalker saga. Um, it's hard for me to, to, to put those two together and say, I take Siege of Mandalore. Cause I think, but it's like, it's like pretty much 10 point to 10.9.99 you know what i mean like that's what we're, we're comparing it to so i would say they're even because i think season six had some phenomenal looking episodes like the the uh, fives arc um i thought is is in retro especially now in retrospect it's a big deal and how and that mm-hmm. looked beautiful so so yeah i would say season seven as a whole is as good if not better than you know season six i gotta rewatch season six soon but I thought season six was way better than season five. Season five had some inconsistencies, if you will, but, uh, but was, was, I mean, there's not been a bad season as home Clone Wars. Let's be real. But I would say it's not the best, but it's, it may, it's definitely up there, but Siege of Mandalore is obviously an all timer, but yeah, I thought it was for the most part, even with the Martez sisters, barring that maybe an, ep- an episode too long, I thought it was great. So, um, anyway, guys, I, I got to bail. I got baby stuff. I got to do. So, um, I'm gonna head out now. Uh, so everyone, I'll do my. I'm gonna do my Godspeed Rebels just for you. Okay, so Godspeed Rebels. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm gonna right. out. Yeah, we'll see Paul. you later, Paul. Good to have you back. But all, right. um, all right. So Tim, did you want to share some thoughts on just kind of season seven overall? Yeah. So for me on season seven, I'm just gonna read it. Read it. Uh, if I could talk, reiterate what I've said on previous episodes about how. I'm just so thankful we got more than just the season of Mandalore because that's all we were really asking for. And mm-hmm. for us to get two more arcs on top of that was just icing on a, an already delicious cake. So, and I really enjoyed the Bad Batch arc quite a lot. And I've been seeing it get knocked around a little bit on <laughs> Twitter amongst Star, some Star Wars fans, not all of them, just kind of saying how they could have done without it or it was a waste of an arc because we've seen it before. But hey, I'll stand by what I said after we watched it at. A celebration Anaheim where I would almost give anything to see that story completed because there were some amazing sequences in there. I loved the Bad Batch as characters and the fact that I got that with finished animation, it was everything I was hoping it would be as far as seeing those amazing sequences and those characters in finished animation looking even better than I probably thought it would have back in 2015 when we saw him. So I really like that arc. I really love the characters of the Bad Batch and the story. Their armor was awesome. And again, bringing back Echo into the fold as far as not only being the Bad Batch, but establishing that there is one member of Domino Squad still alive mm-hmm. <laughs> now, which was great to see. So I, I think it's an important arc for when you talk about clone-specific arts. It might not be my favorite like Umbara is, but I think it's still an important one to get another great insight as to the clones and their story and all of this. So I really enjoyed it. And the Ahsoka arc, I pretty much agree with everything that Paul said about it. It's not going to end up being one of my favorites and one that I'll be jumping to rewatch. But 
I do think it has its place in the season and in the overall story for how it shows Ahsoka dealing with life after being a Jedi to where she goes from that and then to where we see her in the Siege of Mandalore. And it just brings up some great themes in that story arc, too, as far as how some regular citizens in the galaxy view the Jedi and how the Jedi have lost their way and their respect from other citizens in the galaxy. So um, the fact that it throws in those elements there, we saw another side of Kessel that I never thought we'd saw, which was mm-hmm. a great little, little wrinkle to that planet. So some definitely some cool stuff in that arc as well. And Siege of Mandalore, we talked four hours about it. It's amazing. We talked more about it on this episode. It's, it's an all-timer when it comes to Star Wars stories. It couldn't end it, the series on a better note. So factor all those stuff into it. I think season seven was pretty darn great. And again, just thankful that we even got it at all. And it's just something that I'll always be appreciative for, thankful for whenever I'm going to do a Clone Wars rewatch uh, and I make it to season six. I finished the Yoda arc and for a long time thinking that was going to be it, but nope, I can just scroll down one <laughs> and there's 12 more episodes for me to watch. And that's just awesome because we never thought that was going to happen. And the fact that we have it now is just really, really cool for us diehard Clone Wars fans who've been there from the beginning and just anyone in general who loved the series, maybe got into it through Netflix for the first time and wanted to see the stories continue and got to enjoy the final season as well. So it just, again, thankful that we got this for all Star Wars fans and Clone Wars fans to enjoy. So I think it's a big success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can echo pretty much everything you just said. <laughs> echo. See, it all fits together nicely. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, I mean, all we wanted coming into this really was was the Siege of Mandalore. And that was the thing that delivered on all fronts. Um, and to get additional episodes was like something we didn't even think we would get. And I love the Bad Batch. I think that's a fun arc. And honestly, if people are knocking that, I think it's really just because we had such high expectations coming into the season um, that people wanted every episode to be a home run. It's like, okay, these are the final 12 episodes of Clone Wars. We've waited so long for this. You know, they wanted every episode to be one that blew us away. Um, and we talked about this as we were reviewing the, the Bad Batch arc and the Ahsoka arc. And I said, you know, not every episode is going to blow you away. Back when Clone Wars was on, not every episode blew us away. Um, but they're fun episodes. They're solid stories. They got some great action scenes, some fun characters. You know, I'd say overall that arc is a solid like eight out of ten. Um, you know, not mind blowing, but, you know, it has some great stuff in there. Um, and it was really, you know, again, as long as the Siege of Mandalore blew us away, everything else was just kind of extra and you just kind of take what you can get. Um, and then the Ahsoka arc, same thing. I mean, I know those weren't the most exciting episodes and, and, you know, yeah, the story probably could have been shortened by an episode. Um, but I do think that those episodes are essential to Ahsoka's character and, uh, not only just seeing where she goes after leaving the Jedi temple, but, um, like you said, seeing average citizens and their perspective on the war and the Jedi, and then um, sort of how Ahsoka sees herself reflected in that. And like, you know, at, at the end when uh, Rafa, who's like the skeptical one, tells her, you know, and you would think that Rafa would be the one to like really distrust her for being a Jedi and hiding that from them. But she's the one that says, hey, you may have walked away from it. You know, you may no longer be a part of the order or follow the council or whatever, but like you can't change the fact that you're a Jedi. Like, and and I see that in you and you're what a Jedi should be. Like you have those 
and those those ideals and, and and that was on full display in the siege of Mandalore with how Ahsoka reacted to everything that went down in Order sixty six. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. But even for her to then be drawn back into the fold and even be fighting, you know, in the war again, be fighting alongside the clones and be reunited with Anakin and be you know, going to battle to help the people on Mandalore. And even, you know, that argument that she has with Obi-Wan at the beginning saying like, no, you're still playing politics and going off to rescue the chancellor. I'm going off to help these people in need that are being, you know, oppressed by Maul and and all that kind of stuff. Like she probably wouldn't be doing that if she um, hadn't gotten involved with the Martez sisters. She'd still be just kind of keeping her head down and, and wanting nothing to do with the Jedi and the war and still trying to kind of figure out her place. And so I think that, I think that story is really key to sort of reframing her perspective of, okay, I still don't trust the council and maybe I'm still not going to abide by the Jedi rules and, and all the, you know, sort of the politics and everything that they've been caught up in and sort of lost their way. But that doesn't mean that the Jedi ideals that I hold true to um, and the things that I was, was, taught growing up of what a Jedi should be like, I can still hold true to that. So, and I think you see that reflected in even, you know, as her story continues, like in rebels, she says, I'm no Jedi, but she acts pretty Jedi. Like, you know, what is a Jedi? If not somebody that has a lightsaber and wields the light side of the force and uses it to help people and protect people and, and fight for good in the galaxy. So, you know, she continues to do that, even though she's not part of the Jedi order. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some really important stuff in those episodes, even though they're maybe not the most exciting or whatever. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the Phantom Menace in a sense, um, where, you know, it may have some boring stretches or may have some stuff that doesn't seem all that important in relation to everything else, but at the same time also has some stuff that's really key to the overall saga, um, and definitely earns its place. So um, you know, I, I definitely think that's a solid arc. And then of course, Siege of Mandalore, we've said everything that needs to be said about that. 10 out of 10. Um, fantastic conclusion, everything we were hoping for. You know, what's funny though, is, you know, going into, we talked about maybe episodes that we maybe would have liked to see included. Um, and if we could get like the Utapau arc or the Cad Bane and Boba Fett arc, and looking back on it now, actually, if there's one more arc that I could include in season seven or, you know, one final group of episodes that I wish we could have gotten, it actually would have been Son of Dathomir, even though we already got that in the comic. Yeah. Because just like the Bad Batch, when we saw that first story reel, there are some action scenes in those episodes, you know, in that comic that are really just kind of glossed over because you have to condense it down to like a 25 page comic and you can tell that there are some things that, you know, probably would have been fleshed out and would have been a lot longer and, and more in depth or, you know, just some lightsaber duels and action scenes and stuff that would have been a lot longer seeing them on screen. But also, I mean, using Dave Filoni's own rationale of how he said that the reason they chose those other two arcs to include is that you have a Rex story and an Ahsoka story. And then the Siege of Mandalore is bringing those two characters back together. And it's really about them because they're the two most important characters from the Clone Wars that we don't see in Revenge of the Sith. Um, but I think you could add to that Maul. He's the he's the antagonist of that whole arc, at least in the beginning. It's funny because the more I watch the Siege of Mandalore, the more I feel like if you look at like the um, traditional sort of like archetypal 
characters and mythology and, and even in Joseph Campbell and stuff like that. Um, you know, you have your hero and your villain and the mentor and all that stuff, but there's the trickster, which is the character that's like kind of a villain, but you're not sure like what side they're on and they're, they're not the main antagonist. They're more there to be like a thorn in the hero's side. You know, it's kind of like Gollum and Lord of the Rings. Um, or you could even argue that that's maybe like Boba Fett in the original trilogy that like, he's not the main villain, but he pops up to, you know, get Han frozen in carbonite and deliver him to Jabba. And he kind of like derails the hero's plans. Um, and I would say in Clone Wars, that's the role that Maul fills, especially in these last episodes. Because mm-hmm. even for Maul, you see how afraid he is of Sidious. And as we're getting closer to Revenge of the Sith, it's like we all know Sidious is the main bad guy. And Maul is trying to disrupt his plans, but he's also still a villain to our heroes. And it's like he's just trying to throw a wrench in what everybody else is doing and kind of create his own thing and, and gain his own power and... And, you know, he's he's more of kind of just a, a disruptor and like a thorn in everybody's side than he is like the main villain. Um, but he obviously is such a key player in this story arc as well. And I've said it before, like you could almost argue that Darth Maul really is like a more of a Clone Wars character at this point. I know he originated in Phantom Menace, but when we all watched Phantom Menace, we thought he was killed off. And then Clone Wars brought him back and did so much more with the character than we ever thought possible. Um. It's to the point now where, like, if you talk about Maul, I picture him fighting Ahsoka instead of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Like, that's the first image that comes to my mind mm-hmm. is, like, is Maul from Clone Wars and even, uh, you know, him out in the desert with old Ben and Rebels. Um, and so, you know, he's become such an instrumental character in this story as well. And so I think it would have been really cool to get uh, his arc as well and see that bridge from... Um, from where we left off with him in season five, where Sidious defeats him to how he ends up back on Mandalore um, in season seven. And that's kind of referenced a little bit where he's talking to his Mandalorians and says, you know, you rescued me from Sidious once. And he talks about meeting Dooku and all that. Um, And of course that stuff is all in the comics. So it's not like that story went completely unexplained, but I'm just saying, you know, if, if I could have, you know, one wish to have one more arc of Clone Wars completed, I would pick that one. But, um, yeah, just I'm I'm super grateful for all the stuff that we did get this season. Um, I mean, if I had to rank it, I don't know that I would say season seven overall is my favorite. Just because, I mean, it's hard when it's only 12 episodes and you've got seasons like I think I still think season four overall is just a really solid season start mm-hmm. to finish. Um, and, then, and then season five, I mean, obviously you've got the, the Darth Maul arc in there and the Ahsoka arc. I think season five might be my favorite. But it's kind of a toss-up between four and five for me. I, I feel like season four has, like I said, is more consistent across the board, uh, mainly because season five has the droids arc that I don't love. But um, hey, that's what makes it so great too. But the last two arcs are phenomenal, and even the first two arcs with the Onderon arc and the uh, the Younglings arc, I think, are both really fun. So. Um, I still think season five is probably my favorite. And then of course, season six has some great stuff as well. But again, it's, it's a little hard to compare, you know, a 12 or 13 episode season to a a 22 episode season. Um, But yeah, I think I would probably say that siege of Mandalore is my favorite arc. I mean, it's, it just hits all the right emotional beats, the, the characters, the action, the music, the, just all of it is, is perfect. Um, and actually, you know, a- after rewatching it more now, um, as much as I love the final two episodes and the conclusion to everything, I still think my f- I still think the first two episodes are my favorite. Um, 
the Phantom Apprentice still probably my favorite episode in all of Clone Wars just for what they did with Maul. And I mean, obviously the saber duel is fantastic, but the, the character stuff was such a pleasant surprise and, and just, just so great. Um, and then of course, old friends, not forgotten. Um, you know, we talked last time about just all the little moments in that, that I love from the opening battle at the beginning with just Anakin and Obi-Wan and the classic Clone Wars action to the Ahsoka reunion and all the little character moments that are, that are sprinkled in that middle section. And then the battle for Mandalore at the end. So, um, yeah, just, just so many great Star Wars moments in there. Um, yeah, I don't know if we talked about our specific favorite episode when we were discussing it on our, on our last episode, but I, I think actually if I had to choose one, I mean, all of it's amazing. It is one great big Star Wars story. That is fantastic. But if I had to pick one episode, that was my favorite. I think it actually go with shattered. That just blew me away and moved me. Like I was hoping an or an episode that had to deal with order 66 from the perspective of Ahsoka and a Rex would, and it just hit all the right emotional beats for me for those characters. And as Paul alluded to, the music in that was fantastic. And the yeah. way we actually saw a scene from Revenge of the Sith intertwined with a scene from Clone Wars where with Ahsoka and Rex walking in on that uh, Jedi Council uh, briefing. It was just incredible on all levels to me. And this really got to me in the emotional aspect too with Rex and Ahsoka. And that just continued in the last episode. But I think the way some I was really curious to know how it happened with these two characters and for it to really exceed my expectations on that specific story aspect of order 66. I thought shattered just did an unbelievable job of that, which is why I was a little surprised. Paul wasn't loving it right away. Not that he said it was bad, but didn't love it right away on his first really, but I'm glad he came around on it. But I think I would have to pick shattered as my favorite if I had to choose. But again, all of it is just amazing. And it really is hard to choose. I kind of just came to that conclusion probably a week ago, not even after the series ended and I was thinking about it. But when I actually started thinking of specific episodes, I think I came to the point where I would have to choose Shattered. Yeah. And you really can't go wrong with any of them. And it's it is really is true. <laughs> it really is kind of hard to differentiate each episode, too. I mean, because it really does feel like a movie. I mean, you can tell like each mm-hmm. one picks up right where the last one began. There's no you know, even with previous arcs, like even though it would tell a four part story, each episode was still kind of its own little self-contained story. And you could tell, like, maybe there would be some passage of time in between each episode. Yeah. Um, at least a little bit like there, we've never had an entire arc where every episode, like the scene just picked up right where the scene, right where the last scene of the previous episode left off, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just you don't even have to pick a favorite episode. It really is. It's just one great Star Wars story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just I love it all. I'm so glad we got a final season of Clone Wars and that we finally got this story wrapped up and uh, got the proper conclusion that we always wanted. In fact, I think I'm due to rewatch it again. <laughs> well, you know, I I, 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 I just do this weekend. <laughs> I think what I'm going to do this weekend, because I still actually haven't watched Revenge of the Sith since this came out. Um, so I think I might do that tomorrow. Um, and one thing that I that I want to do that I 
I actually kind of was thinking about doing, and I, th- I think I, I was going to do this the last time I rewatched the whole arc, is start with the first episode of, you know, start with Old Friends Not Forgotten. Watch the first half where the attack on Coruscant happens and Ahsoka, you know, or Anakin gives Ahsoka her lightsabers and he leaves. Um, and then I, I want to just stop the episode right there and then just watch Revenge of the Sith. And I was going to do that last time, but I was loving Clone Wars so much, I just let the episode keep going and then I watched <laughs> the whole rest of the arc. So, um, but yeah, I, I want to sort of just watch the first half of that episode as sort of a prelude and then watch Revenge of the Sith all the way through. So I think I might do that this weekend. Sounds fun. I know I'm going to have to do that eventually too. And I'll pause, like you mentioned earlier, try to do that, syncing them up, going from one to the other. But hopefully... Someone will do a great edit of intertwining the episodes into Revenge of the Sith. That would just be so another great way to experience some Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wonder, I don't know if that would be jarring, like going back and forth a bunch of times between the live action and the animation, but who knows? I'm sure somebody out there is trying it. Yeah, um, and me and Paul be, were kind of be... talking about that before we started recording, how it might seem a little off at first, but just with the high level quality of animation that we've been praising throughout this episode, I don't think it would be that jarring, especially during the action sequences. It just might not be a seamless transition, but a pretty darn smooth one where you're not even really noticing it. You're just engrossed in what you're seeing. Yeah. And I mean, it, it definitely would be fun to watch at least once just kind of in a, as an experiment regardless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much going to do it for this episode already. Obviously Paul already signed off. Um, and, uh, you know, glad we just got to, uh, share some more, more Clone Wars thoughts. Um, of course we still got the, the listener responses and stuff that we got to read. So we'll get to that. And one thing that I was thinking about is we may start doing some more, uh, Twitter polls and stuff to um, maybe just hear from you guys and see maybe what kind of content you'd like to hear from us coming up in the future, especially right now, like news is a bit slow. Uh, I mean, we keep getting more of these Mandalorian casting announcements and stuff, but, um, you know, as far as like, there's no Star Wars movie on the slate right now, um, at least for the foreseeable future. So it's not like we're waiting for our next trailer to drop or something like that. Really, all we've got is the Mandalorian. Um, And I know... I mean, obviously, E3 got canceled this year, too, um, but we may get a new announcement, like, of a a new Star Wars game sometime soon this summer. Like, I know they're probably still going to be doing online digital announcements and stuff for for stuff like that. So, I think, like, for EA Play, um, I don't know if they're doing some kind of thing for that, and maybe they'll announce Jedi Fallen Order 2 or something like that. But, um, yeah, really, Mandalorian Season 2 is the only thing we're waiting on right now, so I don't know how much... Uh, news we'll have to talk about for the foreseeable future. But, uh, you know, we, Tim and Paul and I were all talking about this before we recorded and thinking it would be fun to maybe talk some more Clone Wars and, and do individual episodes where we, like, break down an entire season of Clone Wars um, and just kind of, you know, maybe not break down each episode specifically, but just kind of do a, you know, have have a couple hours of discussion Um going pretty in depth with just like one season and and some of our favorite episodes and stuff. Um, Also, like I said, I definitely want to have us do a a commentary episode for the entire Siege of Mandalore arc. Um, And we could also do uh, commentaries for some other Clone Wars episodes, maybe even Rebels episodes. You know, we could do Twilight of the Apprentice or The World Between Worlds or something like that. 
Um, and then we could do some other fun stuff like maybe uh, like top five lists of favorite characters or favorite lightsaber duels or favorite space battles or some stuff like that. So um, be, keep a keep a lookout for that because I may want to uh, just kind of gauge interest from the listeners and see you know what you guys would most like to hear from us. So if you have any thoughts on that um, and you're listening to this, maybe shoot us an email or uh, you know shoot us a message on on Facebook or, or Twitter. Um, but I'll also maybe make a post or a poll about that or something and uh, just kind of see what you guys are interested in hearing from us. Um, but with that said, uh, before we wrap up, Tim, you want to go ahead and read uh, some of our listener comments and responses on the Siege of Mandalore and the Mandalorian castings? Yeah, definitely. And spoiler alert, a lot of people liked it like we did. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. Um, yeah, first off on Twitter, we got some responses. First up, um, Anthony at Tony Fig says, an amazing achievement in storytelling, visuals and acting. Loved every second of it. And Neil at Lowry Neil says, a fitting end to the series. Exquisite. Then Joshua at Kessel Runner 87. Amazing. The whole season was solid, but that final arc was movie level great. Some of my favorite Star Wars content ever. And then Hassan Scarborough said, or at Fatmatic says, absolute brilliance in storytelling and music. Pete Woolman at Remy's Gamut, absolutely tremendous. Somehow, after all the wait, it still managed to exceed my expectations. I think it's my favorite Star Wars film outside of the original trilogy. Derek Beebe at Derek J. Beebe says, Siege was absolutely wonderful. The story went in an unexpected way, but it was a beautiful ending to the series. Alex Klein at A Robot Swink says, my favorite Clone Wars arc, I think. Watched all four back to back again and was even better a second time. And then also, I believe that's it for the Twitter responses, but then we got an email from Logan Simmons, wanted to share his thoughts on the finale. He goes, hey, Tim, Kyle, and Paul, Logan from Phoenix here, and I wanted to bring some observations to the table because sometimes art is just so darn amazing that you feel like you can't hold it in and must share it with others. This episode was the most emotionally packed piece of Star Wars telling since 2005, when we all first saw Obi-Wan in tears forced to leave his brother on the lava bank. If not just as emotional, then more so. Anakin's stories always felt like it was the darkest, most tragic part of the saga, but Anakin never made me tear up the way I was watching the finale. Particularly when, after so many of Ahsoka's most loyal men die as pawns trying to kill her and her kind, she holds no malice, and instead finds the bodies and buries graves for every soldier. I kept thinking about how long that would realistically take. And what that says about Ahsoka and Rex's compassion and commitment towards their brothers in arms. Her decision to leave her lightsabers could be interpreted in different ways, as it's easy to assume that she's doing that to give the impression to the new Empire that she died in the crash. On on first viewing, I interpreted her leaving lightsabers as a symbolic gesture that says she was that she is done killing, that she has been a warrior for too long, and that she feels at least some responsible for the deaths of so many brothers whether as an individual or as a member of the Jedi Order. It is telling that the only lightsabers that she uses after this point are from purified crystals out of Inquisitor copter sabers. <laughs> Side note, good God, is ma- good God is mauled deadly strong in the Force. I got horror movie vibes when he was decapitating troopers. They even showed the arm hit the floor, which is more than they showed for that uh, Quarren in the premiere episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> well, I and think also we ma- saw his legs hit the floor. I don't, did, I don't think so. I think we just heard the noise. 
I'm have to go back and rewatch that. But I, think I you thought just, you saw the leg hit the floor. You just, I mean, you didn't see any severed part, but I thought you saw something fall. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to go back and rewatch it too. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I remember we just saw or just heard it rather than see it. But yeah, we'll have to check, double check on that. But he goes, oh, also, Maul just pulls a Star Destroyer out of hyperspace with the Force. No biggie. <laughs> it is funny to think, so what does Maul do now? He's become an intergalactic drug kingpin slash mob boss. But hey, when you get lemons, you got to make lemonade, you know? All right. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Have a fantastic one, guys, and may the Force be with you. Well, thanks, Logan, for the email, as always. And just, again, bringing up those tremendous moments from the episodes that were just pitch perfect <laughs> for these characters and this era of Star Wars storytelling wrapping up the Clone Wars. I mean, we echo everything that you said in there and just how amazing mm-hmm. it was in particular to how it speaks to Ahsoka and Rex as characters and just how tragic this era of Star Wars is when you talk about the Clone Wars and how they were all just pawns as part of Palpatine's grand master plan. So, yeah, definitely agree with everything you said here. And that's it for the Siege of Mandalore reactions so thank you guys for the tweets and emails to share your thoughts glad everyone pretty much loved it as much as we did even saying this up there with the movies or even better than some of the movies and some of the best star wars they've seen in years so that's just awesome to see yeah and then and then also i put up a poll a few days ago about some of the mandalorian casting to see what everyone's most excited about with these potential characters showing up so the choices were Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Bo-Katan, and then I kind of had to put the cop-out answer on there with all of them. <laughs> but um, we actually ended up in a tie because of that cop-out answer. Uh, Ahsoka and all of them were tied at 29.7% as the top choices as far as what people are most excited for. And then Boba Fett at 27 and Bo-Katan at 13.5. And... I had to put all of them because really, how can you not be excited about all these characters showing up? But I know there are probably some fans who like these characters uh, more so than others, but I had to gauge, wanted to gauge what everyone was most excited for. And I can definitely understand with Ahsoka being the top if you just had to pick one, but then all of them is going to be amazing to see. So yeah, it's just going to be great no matter what <laughs> and when these characters show up. So again, like I said in the poll, it's not quote unquote officially official yet but i really think this is going to happen it's just going to blow us away when we do see it yeah and you know i have to admit i skewed the numbers on this poll because i accidentally fat fingered it when i was trying to vote and i hit boba fett when actually (laughs) believe it or not i was trying to go with bo katan now as far as which character am i most excited to see in live action in general i would probably go with ahsoka but as far as the one that i'm most interested in seeing fit into the story of the mandalorian itself i'm really excited to see bo katan in there and mm. uh, see how that plays into just the story of Mandalore and everything that's happened since the Clone Wars and Rebels and, and how that's all going to tie in going forward with Moff Gideon and the Darksaber and all that. So I'm really excited to see how she plays into that story. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see all of them. And, and I'm excited to see Ahsoka potentially. I'm excited to see Boba Fett come back. So um yeah, fun stuff. And uh, thank you, of course, to everybody who participated in the poll. Thank you, Logan, for the email and all you guys for chiming in with your uh, your comments on, on Twitter and Facebook just regarding the Siege of Mandalore and everything. Glad you guys all loved it as much as we did. Um, and pretty much everybody did. I mean, I haven't heard a negative thing about this. Like, And it's always nice when, especially in this day and age, when something unites the Star Wars fandom like this. Um, Mm -hmm. and just gets people excited about Star Wars. And obviously we, 
you know, we can have different opinions and, and differ on things and not everybody has to like everything that comes out. Um, but it's nice when something is not, you know, divisive, when the majority of fans like it. And I'm sure there might be some people out there that didn't love it or, or you know, didn't like it as much as everybody else did. And that's totally fine. If it wasn't for you, cool. But I haven't heard people, you know, making a big stink about it or, you know, there hasn't been controversy or divisiveness or arguments about it. I mean, it just seems like it's just been one giant Clone Wars love fest. Um, and that's my favorite stuff. Like when when Clone Wars comes out or when The Mandalorian comes out or when uh, Jedi Fallen Order comes out and surprises everybody and, and gets rave reviews and, uh, you know, here and there people are saying, eh, it's not for me. And, and again, that's fine. But when, for the most part, people are just rallying around it and being really excited about it, um, that's my favorite stuff in Star Wars, because as much as, you know, definitely like love what you love and don't let other people tell you otherwise, but it does, you know, kind of weigh on you sometimes when you love something, but you have to defend it from people that are super negative yeah. about it or whatever. So um, it's just more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Everyone's enjoying it. Yeah. And you can share it with, with the whole Star Wars community and everybody seems to be on the same page about just how enjoyable this is. So hopefully we'll get more Star Wars stuff like that in the future. Um, you know, definitely, like I said, looking forward to whatever they come up with next, whatever Dave Filoni does next, you know, I will, uh, you know, that guy could, uh, he could make an animated adaptation of the dictionary and I'd watch it, but, um, <laughs> uh, it's funny, but I agree. It's true. <laughs> I'd be in the same boat. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm just super grateful to have him involved in, in Star Wars still. Um, and, you know, I think last week when we were, I, I feel like when we were talking about Dave and everybody else in, involved in Clone Wars and just the, the cast and crew and everybody who did such a great job, I don't feel like we gave our due, uh, you know, thanks and praises to George Lucas as well for, you know, just the fact that this was his baby. Yeah. These are all his stories. And even with Siege of Mandalore, like um, he may not have been there when they were, you know, writing the scripts or producing these episodes. But I mean, these were story ideas that he and Dave came up with together years ago when he was still working on the show. So um just grateful for his vision and his insight and his dumb idea to bring Darth Maul back in the first place which turned out to be one of the coolest <laughs> things that ever happened on this show so um yeah just just super grateful for for George and Dave and everybody involved in making this show and I can't wait to see what they all come up with next so um but yeah, I think that's going to do it for now. Uh, thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Um, as always, you can, uh, if you want to, you know, get involved and, and have us read your comments and thoughts and stuff on the show, you can uh, tweet us at Star Wars TSC. Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars. The saga continues. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC.com. No, sorry. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. Our website is Star Wars TSC.com. Uh, where you can find all of our episodes and latest news stories and stuff that we're posting. Um, and also be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the latest, uh, all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We will see you guys next time, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody.